Welcome back to Warrior's Den, episode 106. Today's guest is Sebastian Lavoie, retired Sergeant Major of the RCMP and founder of Raven Strategic, and he was previously on episode 81 of Warrior's Den, so check that out. In this episode, we talk about injury, recovery, heartbreak, and leadership. Here's a little snippet from this episode is essentially the pursuit of excellence in a 360 degree world. And I mean, a 360 degree scan around, you know, your own mm. life, you know, so I'm pursuing this goal of going to special operation. I'm pursuing this goal to, to be the best in business. I'm pursuing this goal. Everything has a cost and everything has an equal, an equal and opposite reaction. So how can we mitigate some of the cost associated with the pursuit of excellence in certain fields? Seb is an interesting guy, isn't he? But first, before I get into it, a word from our sponsor. Thank you for listening to the Warrior's Den podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Kramaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. If you like this podcast and our content, make sure you support us in the many various ways you can. The easy and free ways start with liking, subscribing, following, and leaving a positive review wherever you may be listening or watching. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram at Urban Tactics Krav Maga, and Twitter at Urban Tactics KM. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble at Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Another great way to support this podcast, as well as our other content, is to check out our blog at www.utkmblog.com. Here you can check out our weekly curriculum, our various blog posts, and general ideas about Krav Maga and self-defense. For those of you feeling generous, you can also click on the Support Us tab and send donations our way so we can continue providing the awesome content you love. And for those who would like a little more for their money, you can check out www.utkmu.com and learn Kramaga and self-defense online as we teach it at our school. You can check out the various levels of curriculum with monthly or annual subscriptions and learn Kramaga so that you too can walk in peace. Small disclaimer, UTKMU is meant to supplement your regular Kramaga self-defense or martial arts training in person with qualified instructors and is not a substitute for in-person real training. And for those of you who want to look as good as I know you feel, you can always check out www.utkmshop.com where you can check out and buy the latest UTKM merch from us. Warning, wearing UTKM merch will not turn you from a lamb to a lion. To start your transformation from lamb to lion, you must start your training journey today. Stay consistent and never give up wherever you may be. Side effects of wearing UTK merch may be chronic bouts of kicking ass, feeling good, and learning to walk in peace. And of course, if you are in the Metro Vancouver area, come train with us in person. Sign up at www.urbantacticskm.com. I would love to help you on your journey from lamb into lion. And now, back to the episode. Okay, so this was a fun episode, as always, because Sebastian Seb is a super interesting guy with a wealth of experience, and he had a shittier year, 2021 rather, than the rest of us by far. So anyone who's like, I had a shitty year, he had a worse year, and he really showed his resilience. Uh, We get into it, but what happened to him, he was all ready to go when I had him on episode 81. He was freshly retired like a week or two. Uh, launching his new uh, consulting firm or even strategic and he was ready to go and then he wanted to go get a minor surgery for his knee and then he ended up getting something called compartmental syndrome so let me just pop it up on the screen uh, of what 
compartmental syndrome is compartment syndrome so that some of you who are watching the video can check it out and then I'll read it out to you for those just listening on audio. So what is compartment syndrome? Compartment syndrome occurs when pressure rises in and around the muscles. The pressure is painful and can be dangerous. Compartment syndrome can limit the flow of blood oxygen and nutrients to the muscle and nerves. It can cause serious damage and possible death. Compartment syndrome occurs most often in the lower leg, but it can also impact other parts of the leg as well as the feet, arms, hands, abdomen, and belly. In this case, it was his lower leg. And just a little bit more there. And so uh, one thing to note is that he was seriously considering, he would discuss it, amputating his lower leg um, because of the pain associated with it. Now, he, we uh, were talking about some of his recovery during it, and he just wanted me to clarify something. Uh, as, and by the way, if you're still watching video, I'm just scrolling through more on the compartment syndrome if you want to take a look. And if you're just listening, well, I don't want to read through it all in the intro. But you can get an idea. And so back to one of the things he started recovering, he started doing uh, sort of hyperbaric pods. And we just wanted to clarify that it's altitudeperformanceandhealth.ca is where he's going to get this. And one, th one of the things I wanted to talk about that was because the, uh, the hyperbaric chamber or pressure chambers is amazing for the uh, recovery process. And you will probably not hear about it from your local doctors, but the uh, research behind this stuff is crazy. And from the sounds, the way Seb was talking at the end, he's not, he's being optimistic now about not having to amputate his leg. So I just wanted to show that. And I'm not getting paid to put these guys up, but they're doing a service to Seb. And I really support this um, technology that seems to be helping a lot of people. Uh, so there we go uh, from the share screen. Also, I changed my camera. I'm using an SLR now for those watching video. Let me know if you like it better. A little bit more to set up, but I think it's a clearer picture of my ugly mug. So there you go. We also talk about uh, heartbreak. He wanted to talk about he, 2021 was even shittier because not only is he going through that, but he's dealing with uh, a divorce heartbreak. So that was fun. And we just wanted to discuss it because, uh, well, tough men don't like to talk about such things. But according to actual scientific literature, it's uh, pretty hard for some of the most stoic of men to deal with more than anything else there is. And uh, we talk about that. And of course, we cover a little bit about his book he's writing, which will hopefully come out in, in a, a year or so. So uh, this was enjoyable. We're a little bit all over the place, so I apologize. That's just the nature of how our minds work. So I hope you enjoy this episode 106 with Sebastian Louvois. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. Listening to the Warriors Day Warriors.
Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. Okay, welcome back. I am back again with uh, Sebastian Lavoie. How are you today? Hey, man. I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Just trying out this new setup. So for all the uh, video people who are watching now, I have two headphones because I'm waiting on a component. So I am aware. <laughs> Dude, had you not said anything, they would never know. Yeah. Oh, no. There's always so OCD people who are like, what are you doing? Um, but 2021 was a tough year for a lot of people. You in particular, it was even tougher. <laughs> Let's just start with the, with the bang. So what happened to you in 2021? Holy, where do you want to start? Like, we start January or where we want to start? <laughs> uh, well, let's start with the injury. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. There, there was a yeah. bunch of stuff before that, but let's yeah. let's let's skip the uh, let's skip the <laughs> orders orders and go straight to the meat and potatoes here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I'm I'm gonna try to make it as brief as I can while giving you enough, uh, just so that people can understand sort of what the situation was and what it is now. And mm. um, because I think. It, it's been discussed on many podcasts and people are going to be like, <laughs> off, so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways, essentially on August 25th, uh, I was in Toronto for a, a minor surgery and uh, it's, there was nothing to indicate that anything was going to go wrong with that. Um, the likelihood was extremely low, but uh, it certainly did. And um, that night I ended up with a calf muscle on the left side that was three times the size of the other side mm -hmm. and um not that it made it any bigger or anything because <laughs> you know um you got anyways, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it got swole <laughs> for the first time in my life and um and i was i was good with that aside from the the pain that was sort of coming along with it so one of the things that played against me in that is that i have a, a decent pain threshold from putting my, my, myself, my body through so much over the years that I just kind of stood there thinking that this was accessory of the surgery and, and not a big deal when really the pain was a lot more than I should have experienced. So long story short, um, I had compartment syndrome uh, in my left leg, which is a condition where your muscle essentially swells to the point of outgrowing the fascia or the, or the pouch or the pocket that it's in. And it creates issues if it's sustained, it creates issues of, you know, blood flow and neurological issues and those types of things. So um, I was in compression for approximately 26 hours, which stopped the blood flow to my calf muscle for the most part. And yeah. that led to uh, necrosis where the calf muscles are actually died. Right. So essentially uh, my entire left a gas truck, as well as some other components of the interior, you know, um, muscle assembly, so to speak, was completely dead. So between August 25th and October 1st, I had nine surgeries. Mm. Seven of those surgeries served the purpose of removing dead tissue out of my leg, uh, leaving me with a full cue as a, you know, lower leg on the left side for the time being. Um, yeah, so January 13 coming up is 
our reassessment point is where we're kind of going and having a look at what how the leg is doing, how the recovery has come has come about, and um, and uh, how the neurological system is is doing, and all these other things. So that's when we are going to know where we're kind of heading with that. So it's either one of two ways: it's either an amputation below the knee, or we keep. Um, doing reconstructive surgeries and whatnot and see if we can get some functionality leg, um, sort of back on that leg. Now, if you asked me about three or four weeks ago, I would have said that my gut feeling was strongly on the, on the edging towards um, amputation, just based on the totality of the circumstances and everything, excuse me, that I was experiencing. But um, over the course of the last couple of weeks, there has been some some giant leaps made in the right direction and a lot of nerves and my tibial nerve included, which was the main nerve that we were waiting on uh, is looking like it's coming back and extremely sensitive. So there is a chance that uh, things could go much better than anticipated with that leg. And so what I have been doing aside from all my recovery work, which we can get into at any mm -hmm. time yeah. <laughs> um, is, is pushing, pushing the recovery process. So I've been pushing myself, you know, like I started mm -hmm. doing the, the, the crunch, which is kind of a, uh, you know, uh, stairs going up a mountain. Oh, and, the, and, uh, Coquitlam crunch. The Coquitlam crunch. Yeah. yeah. For those Sim similar to the grouse grind. I've never done That's the right. Coquitlam crunch, but the, we have mountains, uh, uh, for those not familiar with the geogra geography of Vancouver, we have mountains in the North and lots of pretty intense trails. Yeah, I've never done the, the crunch, but the grouse grind, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it only takes an hour, no problem. And then you see people puking all the way up. Is, is <laughs> yeah. the crunch similar to that, then? Uh, no, it's 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 a lot easier and it's a lot uh, it's a lot tamer. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I I'm not in the competitive realm right now, anyways. So so yeah. the goal is just to kind of get some of the some of those muscles and some of the joints to move mm -hmm. in the right direction, so that. I can maximize my chances of, of keeping this thing, but not only keeping it, making it functional so that I can do, a, you know, a variety of things that I used to do that I'm no longer able to do. Yeah. So, so there's been some, there's been some good breakthrough for yeah. the first time in the, in, I would say four months here. Uh, That's in, great in news the last for sure. Weeks. Cause I heard, I was listening to you talk to Matt Kwan and it was very morbid. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good news. Now, before we get into that, I just curious, uh, one thing that bothers me on the internet, right, is uh, when people start talking about various medical systems and uh, the, I'm curious as to why you ended up going to Toronto before I make any judgments versus doing it here. Yeah, it, it was a private, it was a private clinic and that's as simple clinic. as it gets and oh, it yeah. could get me in quick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, cause it was, there, there was no, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, it's a simple explanation. I just, um, when I hear people talk about the American medical system and I was listening to someone talk about the corruption of the American medical system and they were talking about Canadian medical system and the British medical system is so amazing because they have socialized healthcare. And then I'm like, hold on a second, because I've had to leave Canada to go, to, well, my wife did, sorry, had to leave Canada to get private treatment somewhere else. And you went to a private clinic uh, in another uh, province. It's something people don't like to talk about the existence of private medicine in Canada. And if you rely on the public healthcare system here for anything other than the major stuff like a heart attack or a stroke, uh, head trauma, for example, uh, you're on a long waiting list. 
And uh, I find it amazing because, you know, I used to study occupational health and safety, for those who don't know, and you work with the WorkSafe BC, which is sort of the workers' compensation, and all the scientific literature on recovery and health and benefit is you need to get it sorted out as quickly as possible so that you can get recovery as quickly as possible. And the public health care system doesn't really do a great job uh, at that. I just... Uh, I find it amazing that no one really wants to talk about this stuff. Uh, and here you are, you, and thankfully, I think to your benefit, you went to that private clinic so that you can get the treatment as fast as possible. Um, yeah, I just wanted to put that, <laughs> expand yeah. on why you went there. I mean, for me, it's it's um, complaining about the medical system in Canada is kind of complaining with your, your with your belly full, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and it is, I mean, I, there is some issues with it and everything. And we know that, but um, I just came back from Haiti. Do you want to talk mm. about the medical system? in <laughs> Haiti? You know, like, so, yeah. so really in the, in the, in the, in the big scheme of things, but you are correct. Like if you go to the States even, and you know, evidently the States is extremely expensive. And I was there uh, during a, a jujitsu camp, you know, many, many moons ago in Miami and I got sick like a dog and I ended up, you know, being given pills and a shot. And I came out of there with a $10,000 bill, um, you know, cause, cause it, it's super expensive, but mm. the, the, the quality of the treatment that they are getting and proliferating is quite amazing. Mm. So yeah, it's super expensive and you're likely to be broke stiff after it's done. The treatment's really, really good. People are coming here. It's free. It's different, you know, yeah. but it's also free. So mm. it's it's kind of like, and we seem to do a good job of, at actually dealing with like the major stuff, as you mentioned, right? Mm. Like if something is critical and it's happening now, we generally do a good job of that. It's it's more the follow up stuff that kind of falls off. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I I'm not complaining per se, it's I just think that we're not having honest conversations about public versus private. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I, for example, I've talked about it before when I tore my ACL and it was a work safe claim, a uh, work safe. Uh, so for again, just setting up people listening outside of Canada, it, basically you are required by law in British Columbia as a company to pay workers compensation insurance, which is run by a, a quasi government agency. It's not really private. And so they're very pro public healthcare sector. And so when I went to my, uh, when I tore my ACL, I was demanding, I want the scan. I don't care what the doctor say. I want my, I want the MRI. And there's a, like a nine or 10 month waiting list. Now, because I was with complaining to work safe, I believe I made like three people cry. Um, cause I know how they're supposed to operate. And, uh, not proud of that part, but it just, just happened to happen. And they finally caved and sent me to a private fMRI clinic. And when I was sitting in the waiting room, they're like, oh yeah, we're taking bookings all week. We have tons of space. And I was just like, hold on a second. <laughs> and that's why I think we need to have an honest discussion. So about that, uh, and as a general thing, Canadian, it's a little off topic, but I just like to set the sort of tone on that so people listening outside of Canada really understand the pros and cons because you know as I mentioned people trash talk the American system all the time but they really don't understand uh, like the British the state of the British healthcare system or the state of the Canadian healthcare system um, as you mentioned there's positives and negatives for both and I just want to moving forward sort of set that uh, set that sort of uh, idea in place for the international listeners if that makes sense 
Yeah, everything is an equal and opposite reaction yeah. generally, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. So with that said, you had your surgery done and then things didn't go uh, well. Was it is just fluke accident uh, for your leg? Yeah. Is that just kind of yeah, what yeah, they don't really they don't really know. Like the the yeah. plastic surgeon, the orthopedic surgeons, uh, teams of surgeons have, have looked at it and and really try to dive in into what coulda, woulda, shoulda, or did, or, yeah. or did not, and um and and really it's just a matter of you know your numbers up, dude. yeah, you know, and uh, statistically statistically speaking, it was almost an impossibility, mm -hmm. not quite, you know, but should have uh, bought a lottery happened. ticket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but, so because um, i look at this for you when i had you on last you were just fresh out of the rcmp you have your plan to go life is going you're ready to go and boom this thing hits you um yeah. but people look at you whether you like it or not as a leader in the community i i think i compared you to like the canadian jocko willing right and you're you're abuse from all the stories that i hear Unfortunately, due to COVID and, and, you know, your leg, we were unable to meet up. Um, but how does that go forward? Because one of your things about uh, Raven Strategic, right, is your is your company, is about uh, leadership and problem solving. Now, people can obviously talk, and you've shown a lot in your life with your, with your career. This, like, almost sets you up to overcome adversity right away. And then talk to people about it, which was in many ways, I think, your plan, if I'm not mistaken, to sort of work with people and leadership. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'd already done that, right? Like yeah. I've done that my entire career. So it's not like this was anything new. Uh, Raven was just being paid for it versus mm. doing it for free, yeah. um, so to speak. But um, but so so what people were used to hearing from me, they were able to corroborate with my actions when something hit me right mm. and this is not because i it wasn't by design it, it simply was you know mm. this this is who i am this is I, i'm teaching things that i apply in my own life i'm not teaching things or passing passing on information on things that i don't know anything about so you know what i was doing and what i was teaching in my performance coaching or in my leadership training or everything the qualities demonstrated or the qualities uh, reinforced and discussed and 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 spoken about were the same that I had to tap into as an individual to deal mm -hmm. with my adversity, and so it's just it's just walk the walk, man. Like if you're gonna be teaching anybody anything, you better walk the walk, mm -hmm. right? Like we know yeah. that. It just um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that makes total it's, sense. It's uh, and we'll get into leadership afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just I just if you like biography wise, if you, when you write your biography, right. It's just like, <laughs> if an anybody's amazing... going to read that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they will. It's uh, like just a, just a plot twist, but on, 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 on topic, if you will. Um, because one of the hardest parts of, I think anything recovery or any, uh, it's just, it's the mental game. Right. So how did that play out when you, the, the athlete, the performer physically, all of a sudden can't do what you wanted to do physically in, in life? Mm -hmm. how, did, how did that play out for you? Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully, I, I like to think of myself as somebody that's very multidimensional. Mm -hmm. So I, yes, I do work out and yes, I do what I have to do to do the job that I was asked to do and, and, and a lot of hard things. But 
um, I also diversified my investment in myself, right? Mm -hmm. I, I diversified. I spent a lot of time studying. I spent a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time writing. I spent a lot of time doing, you know, creating, doing, you know, and so, so that I would have something um, to show for that necessarily made work not define me or a specific skill set define me completely. So it's part mm -hmm. of who I am, but it isn't who I am as a whole, right? And so, when, when you're faced with something, and, and this is my opinion, when you're faced with, with adversity or you're faced with something and you can turn around and start investing in the other aspects of your own personality, of your own life, you really don't skip a beat because what would have happened is you would have neglected cert certain areas and you would have had a shortcoming. Mm -hmm. So now I had an opportunity to really refocus. I had an opportunity to look back and introspect in a meaningful way to see the man that I was and the man that I wanted to be. And was I in transit or was I somewhere completely off the path? Hmm. You know, like, so I spent a lot of time um, wanting to come out of this a better man, a hmm. better person. And, and, and I invested so much time in there that I am 100% convinced that it helped me immensely. As, as a, you know, in terms of rebirth. And I do believe that during life, during a lifetime, we, we, we die and, and, and re rebirth many times over. If we are capable of taking the hit, cause it's not easy. Right. Yeah. It's a, what do they call it? Uh, pivoting is the key skill. Mm -hmm. I keep hearing from like entrepreneurial leaders or just uh, social media people or whatever you want to call these people as like the, the one of the number one skills in the 21st century will be the ability to pivot and change mm -hmm. directions because change is so ha happening so fast and people who struggle with that are just not going to do well. So it yeah, sounds like you pivoted. Yeah, there is a lot. And, and I mean, the, there is some, some serious correlation between say leading tactical operations, and having the ability to do that, mm. um, you know, le leading tactical operations where where the circumstances are extremely dynamic and chaotic, and all the the possible solutions are bad, mm. and you have to select the least worst, and you have to do it on short notice, and you have to do it with a variety of different input, and you have to do it with taking the totality of the circumstances and doing a solid risk assessment and, and a continuous risk assessment. And it just goes on and on and on. And what happens generally is the people that are too process oriented, you know, people that like to put, to organize things in, in little boxes and be very, very clean and organized and everything often have a really, really hard time turn the wheels quickly when things get dynamic so it's a critical skill to have you don't it's okay to be a process person but let's dab into the other side as well so that we balance this out inversely the person that's really really comfortable in the chaos doesn't always do well when there is you know um, results to be had in a certain administrative task or in a certain task where cleanup is necessary or organizational mm -hmm. skills are necess necessary or anything like that so having that fine balance of the two is super key. Yeah, I'd say speaking for myself, I think as much as I dislike it, I actually thrive in chaos and, and I, I struggle when everything is too structured because I get bored or can't focus whatever for whatever reason. Now, it's interesting because 
you being a tactical guy, a lot of the idea around military, uh, you know, uh, people will say discipline equals freedom and you need structure and schedule and all this stuff. And then when stuff breaks like that and you're required to also pivot, I'm like, I find it very, it's a confusing message I find for a lot of people because uh, it not everyone like myself I will not do well if it's like the same thing every day constantly I just lose my mind did did that this experience of yours sort of change that or was it just the same for you because of your tactical experience and requiring to pivot because that messaging again is like you need structure you need discipline and it's I just find it interesting and confusing well, messaging <laughs> yeah I mean basically I guess one of the ways to illustrate it would be um, you know, they say the best, no, no, the best laid plan don't resist first contact. Right. Mm. And, but if you don't have a plan in absence of having a plan, there is actually no framework around your, your response, which mm. is going to make it completely inappropriate. Whereas if you do have a plan and there is some contingencies in place and there is some options in place, it, it gives you some options they may not be perfect they may not be but so you'll so it happens and boom it hits first contact and now you're in a chaotic and 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 quickly rapidly evolving situation but you at least have some stuff whereas you're going to draw blank right mm. and all of a sudden it's like oh shit you know yeah. so 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 yeah having a, a framework is reasonable but i don't i, I i'm not um the type of person that just dies by the schedule so to speak mm -hmm. like if i wake up in the morning and i'm supposed to go for a swim at 5 a.m and i decide to go for a run uh i go for a run you know like right now it's not happening but if i did <laughs> you know or yeah. something comes up and i have to now do a zoom meeting and i have to re readjust i mean now it's easier because i control my schedule a bit mm -hmm. a bit more than when i was on shift working mm -hmm. shifts but um yeah, I, you know, I, I just think for the most part, we seem to be overthinking so many things. And, mm. and that's one of them is just have a little bit of framework. So you're not mm. just, I think the danger, and I've, I've experienced it um, being retired for almost a year now, it is super easy to wake up three weeks later, mm. you know, and you haven't done anything. Yeah. Like it's super easy. I remember when I first retired, I was because I was for 20 years, I was essentially institutionalized where I'd be, you know, going to a shift and I'd be responding to calls and I'd be getting called out and all the stuff. But I was it was very, very this is where work starts and this is where work ends. Yeah. Whereas when I moved in the business world, nobody cares. Yeah. You do what you want, but yeah. you're going to have to be producing. So it's up to you, you, you know? So for the first couple of weeks, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just, uh, I, I need to think about what I really want to do and how I want to go about doing it and kind of get the creative, creative juices flowing and all this good stuff. I'm lying in bed, like three weeks later, I wake up, I haven't done anything, yeah. you know? And I wasn't waking up at 10 or anything like that. I'd be waking up at six or seven in the morning. I'd be working out doing all this good stuff, but it is incredibly fast or, um, or, uh, what's the word? Um, very subtly, you'll be eating away at time until you realize that you haven't done anything, you know? Mm. And so, and so that's why I think having a, a framework and having some discipline also, you, you got to think that most people that are already, um, in, in the world that Jocko was in when he speaks to discipline mm. equals freedom or whatever, already live like that. So this is more applicable to people that really don't have any. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that's then people that already have discipline. So, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting thing. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of a tangent, but you just got me thinking because I've been, you know, entrepreneurial on and off for years, mainly because I just I don't fit in the institutions. It just doesn't work for me. Um, the, the idea of, you know, you create your list. This is all the tasks I need to get doing. And then uh, something else comes up. Like I have a few big projects that are very time consuming, but I'm the only one who's going to be able to do them because I can't afford to pay people to do them for me. And those projects sometimes get pushed back because you need to do all these other things like administrative stuff. How is that sort of transition or has it even affected you that you're you're doing this on your own now? Even, you know, I'm sure you have people supporting you, but that shift from having a massive structured team to, oh, crap, I got to do all this. My list never ends. How, how has that been for you? Well, my list never ended on the team, but you yeah. are correct. I had a whole bunch of I had a whole bunch of people, capable people, to to pick up the slack and and make things happen. And it's way easier to lead if you're standing back and 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 making sure that you have the big picture figured out, that you're enabling your people, that you're providing them a mission and asking mm. them to problem solve things, but you're supporting them along the way. And you let them go and they just kind of problem solve everything. Like it was amazing to have. Mm. And it's and and the goal in business is that as well it just takes time to get there yeah. right and and i'm certainly not there i'm certainly not there yet but I, what i have done though is um under the the raven strategic umbrella which is my company is doing meaningful things with meaningful people is what i'm after so i if i have a project on the go and somebody is a perfect fit to be to be a part of that project and 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 land a hand and even if i have to pay them or whatever uh, then I'm doing it. I, I don't get five or six or seven people coming in mm. and, and, and problem solve things with me. But, um, and so far, so I've had lots of stuff on the go, but you know, you find the right person, man. And it's all about that synergy, right? Mm. That synergy that wants that, you know, um, essentially if, 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 if a person is being asked to dig a hole, well, uh, theoretically if you add another person it should be twice as fast the reality is it could be three times as fast if yeah. they gel and if they work together well and it could be three times longer if they yeah. don't right yeah. so having having syner synergical synergetical uh, relationships throughout your 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 you know your project-based business endeavors is like key in yeah. my opinion yeah with same people with the same goal, with the same sort of working styles. I've worked with people where it just does not work or they're they're what they say they're going to do. It just doesn't end up being, <laughs> uh, but it, it, having that team there for sure is, I think is so important. So it's, 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 it's good to hear you've managed to do that transition because I find a lot of advice is very much reliant on people having a team that is competent and capable. And when you don't have that, aside from working towards building it, it is just, it's, I find it's a whole different world because people come and demand or request or ask, Hey, I want this. I'm like, yeah, I would love to. It's a great idea. Are you aware of the, you know, 2000 hours <laughs> it's going to be to put that project together competently. And I would love to do it. I just can't. And I find I'll just, it's, reality meets expectations sometimes you know what I mean? sure, man like when i when i went to haiti just to you know to piggyback on that because mm. it's 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 very accurate when i went to when i went to haiti um the 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 planner in me and the person in me that loves to have things all dialed in and 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 wrapped up with a bow and and everything was kind of 
at a, at a crossroad because mm -hmm. we were recording a book. We were, we were working on a book. I'm working on a book with one of my business partners, Sean Taylor. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and we were, I was in trail and then the company reached into me and they said, okay, we need, we would need you in country with a course training standard for mm -hmm. blah, 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 uh, you know, in nine days or something. And I'm mm -hmm. like, uh, they, I got, I don't have a team designing courses here. If yeah. I design a course completely customized, I'm doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so research comes into play to make sure that everything that's in there is dialed in and current, everything has to be done right. Because that's the way I like to do things. And when I leave that place, I want these people to truly had the best value for the best bang for their bucks they possibly could. So for me to accept that project on such short notice, knowing that we had an entire week of recording to finish that mm. would fly home during the floods and leave two days later to deliver the first day of the course the day after I was like, mm. oh, this is not working with my, <laughs> with my brain because I didn't believe in my ability to deliver on that. Right. Yeah. And so what ended up happening is after a few conversations with, with, with Sean, who's been overseas on a whole bunch of different things um, there was some good input put in but also some soul searching and i just decided you don't like it because it's uncomfortable mm. you know and ultimately that's what it comes down to you you started doubting yourself and let the little voices take over telling you you're going to fail and all these other things because you're uncomfortable with the short timeline mm. and because of that you should be going mm. what do you mean by <laughs> and, that well because because i'm uncomfortable i yeah. should be doing it yeah. You know, we know that growth occurs outside comfort, like it doesn't mm. occur in comfort, it occurs outside of comfort. So what I said is I basically told the company, I said, Look, you know, I would love to have this much time to prepare something very intricate and very detailed and very, you know, visually pleasing and all these other things. But because of the short timeline, it's going to have to be straight to the point. But I'm telling you this, your people are going to get better at what it is that you want me to teach them. And I can guarantee you that they're like, mm -hmm. yep, absolutely. So I created a course training standard on the plane mm -hmm. for two days of travel. And I literally finished a course the night, like the PowerPoints and everything, the night before delivering the first session in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that night on the first session, on the first session, on the first day, that night I was creating a, a multi uh, question and answer exam for the next day. <laughs> you know, so I did yeah. that in my room. I was, I was, I was working until like 12 o'clock at night, yeah. you know, and, and, and at six o'clock I was up ready to kind of deliver this exam that I just created last night, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and the feedback was amazing, man. Like the feedback was humbling and the the feedback, you know, it was worth the juice was worth the squeeze in that I really had put in the work regardless of doubting my own ability to deliver on it. And man, it just, it just went really, really well. Hmm. So, you know, one of those things, right? Like yeah. comfort, what you're comfortable with and, and what you should actually be doing are, are often at odds. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I read it a long time ago. It's a book, uh, Not the Art of War, The War on Art by Stephen Pressfield, I think, about resistance. And I, I'm like, it's actually really difficult to <laughs> overcome that. I still still struggle with it, especially with that task list always shifting or adapting. It's uh, the battle within is one of the hardest hardest you can do right and uh especially someone with high standards it's like i want to do this and if i can't i don't want to do it it's like one of the biggest uh 
preventions for a lot of people, especially like my wife has OCD, so she can't do it perfect. She doesn't really want it. And I'm like, you know, it's going to take longer than you think, right? Or, or vice versa or something. So it's uh, sure. that fun battle. Now, a, dec well, a decent plan now is better than the perfect plan later, as they say. Yeah. Well, I think, what is it, uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos, like him or hate him, he said you have to be like 70% sure and then yep. you move forward. Otherwise, it, mm -hmm. it's like... Uh, point of diminishing returns that extra energy to get to that 30% completion 100% is going to be so excruciating that you're not mm -hmm. going to get anything done ever so you just kind of have to trial and error and, and and move forward now it sounds like you had a whole bunch of stuff going on meanwhile you're trying to recover from from your leg so how's the recovery process been uh physically start with that mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I skipped a lot of, obviously, I, sk I skipped yeah. a lot of parts. We went on a rant, though. <laughs> we, yeah, it's okay. We, organically, right? Organically moving through uh, through our thought process. And this yeah. is an indication of how our brains work, probably, like strainers. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, there. you know, when I first came back, when I first returned from Toronto, there was, you know, a, a six or seven or eight weeks I had issues with opiates. Not issues, mm -hmm. as in I wasn't addicted to them, but I was... Mm -hmm. I was having to get off of them and of course dealing with the withdrawals which was really difficult because i was taking a ton of pain medication when i was in toronto for 28 days um and then i had a lot of ancillary issues and i think there's a lot of you know biology either did me wrong or i wasn't listening because there's a lot of stuff that uh, is interconnected that we don't necessarily know about the body and and actually everything is interconnected so mm -hmm. it, it, you know for me, um, you know, it took me time to understand that the neurological system can send all, all kinds can send all kinds of signals, and 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 you can have. So I have something called um, peripheral neuralgia, which is basically uh, neurological uh, inputs or output that sends everywhere to the nerve endings, and it's itchy everywhere. Yeah. So you're always itchy, right? Like it's kind of like having a rash, but you don't have a rash, and it's all yeah. oh, it's very very unpleasant, very annoying. Is so that I had before? That. Or is a constant thing, or is it just a recent thing? It's pretty much it's pretty much constant, but now it's kind of dialed down quite a bit because my mm. leg and neurologically, the neurological input I'm getting in my leg is a lot lesser. Whereas, mm. you know, four weeks ago I was getting these electrical shocks, like solid, mm. you know, burst of you know four amps going on in there, and 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 it would actually affect the rest. So. Um, the first thing I started doing when I got back, aside from beating the, the opioids and, and, mm. um, and, you know, dealing with the withdrawals and, and forcing myself out and going and doing things was to go back to the gym. So when I left Toronto, I was, uh, 175. When I got to Toronto, I was 205 mm. and I left Toronto 28 days later at 175, which is the lightest I'd been since, you know, many, many years ago. And so um, I, the first thing I wanted to do was to go back in the gym and start regaining strength back. It was, it was critically important for me to regain strength back, to reinforce the systems around my injury system so I wasn't, you know, muscle wasted all around, but also that I had the ability to carry what now was a um, ineffective muscle group so to speak. Right. And so I was wanting to build a system around the injury, which is the way you protect injuries. Um, and I also, there, there is a bit of a mental, 
component in there. You know, when you're walking around at 205, 210 for say 10 years, and all of a sudden you're 175 and your muscle wasted and everything, it takes a huge toll on you, mm-hmm. on your psychological well-being and on your emotional well-being. It's like, hey man, like look, you are getting better. We're working towards you know, um, an outcome that, that is favorable, but you're going to have to get in there and get it done. So I, I, I met up with an excellent, uh, excellent trainer from, uh, from Coquitlam here and did a ton of work. And in no time flat, I was back, you know, my weight was back to almost 200 pounds and it, it didn't take two weeks or three weeks. It, it didn't take three weeks. And I was back to almost 200 pounds. Yeah. With that, um, I did the multibaric pods, as I spoke about on the mm-hmm. um, on the BGG Metal Model podcast. Like this was the you know the elevation going up and down, up and down, up and down mm-hmm. with constant fluctuations, which really really squeezes the toxins out of your cells and essentially um, promotes nerve reactivation, muscle muscle re- muscle engagement, all these other things. Like there's, it's so healthy for you. So I I, I spent six hours, six to eight hours a, a week in the pods, mm. um, two hours a session. And that really helped uh, with my neurological sort of rewiring, mm. uh, really helped with that. And then after that, I generally go to the pool. I do a bit of swimming, but then I will go hot tub, uh, steam room so that I can sweat out some of the toxins that the pods have squeezed out. Mm. And um, aside from that, you know, the usual, obviously I was at first, I wasn't walking at all. And then I was in a, well, I was in a wheelchair and then I was, and when I started working out, I was in a wheelchair. I was only doing upper body. Right. Um, but then after started, uh, you know, walking when I could and having try to maximize the amount of time I was spending on the leg and, and getting it engaged in things. And then at about the three or four week mark after, oh no, five week mark, after the uh, the leg was actually closed, like the wound was closed, I started jiu-jitsu again. Mm. And my first session was actually quite good. The rest of them actually weren't. So I, <laughs> you know, somehow I had I had some vigorous fire coming in on the session, first session back. And I, I, I just felt like old self and I could do a lot of the things that I didn't think I was going to be able to do. And then your body's but, like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> precisely. Body's like caught up with me and he's uh, wanting no part of this. So, so it's really affected my jiu-jitsu after, I, I wouldn't say dramatically, but for me, with my own standards, um, certainly certainly has been. Mm. Um, but all of this now is becoming better and better. So last week, my leg was feeling a lot better. So I ended up going on the mats after. So I, I ended up going to the pods. I spent time in the pods. I went to the pool. I spent time there. I went to workout, and then I went to do jiu-jitsu. And the next day, I woke up, and I was good to go. My leg was you know, feeling great and everything. So, so I think that it's going there and, and hopefully there's a time where I can start doing judo again and get people to not start, you know, butt scooting on the ground and, <laughs> and run after each other. And, uh, yeah. cause I just, I just, yeah, don't favor that. But. Uh, so, uh, just to, just to clarify, how long has the recovery been now? Well, so I, they closed the leg. Cause I guess if we want to, technically speaking, I've been here since September 22nd. Mm. Okay. So that's when the recovery truly started. However, I was still getting surgeries until October 1st, right? Mm. So, I mean, so, I would say, g- given the time frame, your recovery to where you are now sounds like it's very fast. And yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just because one of the things, like my experience, and I people I've talked to similar, is how much of 
your recovery process is uh, following what the doctors have said exactly and how much of it is you saying hey i want to get better i'm looking at other stuff because um i've found when it comes to recovery the doctor's advice is like 10 or 15 years behind sometimes in canada and it's you know when i tore my acl again nowhere near as bad as you but they're like don't do anything don't do anything and when i started just doing my own thing uh, it recovered way faster given granted i understand how my body works i have a gym had a gym at the time so how much of your recovery is you doing your thing being you and them saying yeah go for it <laughs> yeah well there's a couple of things there right like one of the things that i always tell athletes is get a sports doc hmm. like get a sports doc a sports doc that's used used to dealing with people that you know have to play sport for a living and so there is no sit on the sideline how are we going to maximize recovery so that we can send them back on the ice so that they can continue to make money and be productive for the team, mm. right? And so the mindset is very different with general practitioner. Now, general practitioner as well are dealing with a segment of the population that isn't necessarily very athletic, that isn't necessarily putting the time in, you know, to work out and all these other things. Not that they're not doing anything good. It's, it's just that it's not that demographic, right? Mm -hmm. So what they have to do is they kind of have to split that difference and go right down to the lowest common denominator or at least a little bit higher. But you know what I mean? Like it, it, it impedes people that are, are potentially operating physically at a higher level. And this mm -hmm. is physically, not, not uh, meta uh, metaphorically. But um, no, uh, I didn't receive very much guidance at all in mm -hmm. terms of recovery at all. It was actually quite, quite interesting what happened. I, I started pushing and saying, okay, well, when, when should I be starting physio? Uh, oh, um, you know, and, and so the answers were not um, really forthcoming. So I, I, I ended up making the decision that I'm going to start right now. I'm mm -hmm. going to start doing what I can right now. And I think one of the problems that we we have as humans often is uh, is we think that because we can't do a certain thing, like we can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you can. You know, I can I can flex my eyeballs. You know, there, yeah, there's always something to do. There's always a muscle group you can be reinforcing. There's always something you can do, re almost regardless of what the condition is, unless you're obviously quadriplegic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, my mindset was always, I'm going to start doing all I can, you know, and if it doesn't have anything to do with the leg, well, so be it if it's completely, but it will have making myself stronger, better, and faster is going to help in the recovery. There is no question. If anything, it's going to help me mentally and emotionally. And so I started doing that and having, it's all about the small wins, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to get these small wins along the way. I didn't care where I was going. I still don't care where I'm going. I don't know where this is all going to end up. You know, we know where we end up ultimately, but is there going to be wins along the way? And those are the little things that are really keep me, keeping me focused on what I'm doing, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of the recovery process. So, yeah, I did what I felt and what my experience as a trainer for many, many years, you know, told me to do and yeah. how and what felt organically right. Yeah. No, I just bring it up because one of the things I've been talking to my students about is, and I know a lot of people don't want to talk about this or hate it when people talk about this. And I'm, t I'm like telling people that because our medical system is overburdened, you need to be your own doctor to a degree. 
and and doctors of course hate that now i'm not a doctor a legal disclaimer but i'm like listen you need to look at your own life you need to see what works for you because the doctors can't tell what's inside your head you need to be self-aware and you need to look into it and you find when people start really doing that they're like how come I never heard about this medical treatment? Well, what about this drug? Or wait, you're telling me there's research on this? And then you go to the doctors and they're like, uh, I can't, can't say anything on that. Which brings me, how did you find the hyperbaric, because hyper, you're using a different one than I'm familiar with, the chambers. Like, you, how did you find that exactly? Well, uh, you know, I wish I was the super uh, insightful guy that knew all of this and everything, but I didn't. And and what ended up happening is we had a GoFundMe mm. uh, set up by one of my business partners. And I mean, you know, thank oh, yeah, you to, send everyone. Some to that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to everyone that, that contributed to that. It, it's, yeah. it was an amazing help and it was a life-saving help. It was, mm. it was amazing. And I appreciate it very much. But, um, but as, as part of, as a part of that, um, a, a couple, a very nice couple that owns, um, Elevation Performance in Vancouver, which is the multibaric pods, um, sent me a, a message saying, look, this we have this technology here. It's very, very beneficial. It's been, there's data to support it. It's, it's proven to be, you know, helping with nerve generation and regeneration, all these other things. So once you can get back to us, and if you're interested, we'll get you in. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that message until a month, actually almost six, six or eight weeks, eight weeks later. And eventually my business partner said, Hey, uh, by the way, there's, there's still a message left in the inbox and this is it. And so I called them and I went and, and tried it out and they refused for me to be paying. Like they mm-hmm. wouldn't pay cause they, I guess hadn't contributed to the GoFundMe account. So they said, okay, our contribution to the GoFundMe is going to be to support your, you know, multibaric pod, which is an amazing community service. I mean, I did not deserve that, but, you know, more than anybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they are amazing, amazing people. And they, they essentially hooked me up mm-hmm. and uh, I had to make it clear that, uh, you know, if this becomes something that I do for the extended future, then I would, I would start paying. Cause I don't, I don't want to be on the take forever, but if, but I agreed that let's do the next six months and see if we can get my leg where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I will just continue going, but I will, you know, finance it from my own pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, cause I'm not familiar with the specific nature of, uh, the type of chambers you're using. Is it like a little one? Is it big? Like how does, are your mm-hmm. whole body in it? It looks yeah, it looks like the Superman pod basically mm. is what it looks like. You're you're sitting in it and um, and it goes, I got some pictures on my Instagram as well. I'm sure mm. you'll put the link up and everything, but uh, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like the Superman pod and it has that little lid that comes down and it's actually mm. quite therapeutic in there. It's pretty quiet, especially if you bring a set of these and you're doing work or listening to freaking classical music or doing whatever, mm. you know, I just, uh, I just kind of really enjoy the time in there. But uh, what's really, really critical is having all these different elevation changes. And there's a bit of luck too in there because I'll tell you what happened. So I was uh, progressing. So there is various levels. You have level one and each level has different tiers, like tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four or something. And then you get to level two. And And the higher you go in levels, the higher in elevation you are. So mm. I was at, you know, level four, which is like Mount Rainier or 18,000 feet or something. And my leg was getting 
really, really compressed hard and, and everything was, it was so, you know, vigorous. Right. And, um, and, and, and my leg started actually seemingly going backwards where I, I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of problem walking. I re-engaged the cane in the equation because the cane had been put away, mm. all this stuff. But my nerves were starting to wake up and I could sense that it mm. obviously had triggered something in there. Long story short, I showed up a couple of weeks later and I had a bit of a sinus infection. So I asked, hey, is it possible for me to... Uh, to lower, you know, for us to lower the, the, the elevation today. And so I did three hours at level two. Hmm. And then that was the, the day that I went to the pool, went to the gym, went to jujitsu, and the next day was totally good. So I hmm. basically started thinking like the lower, the lower elevation seems to be and more constant uh, fluctuations seem to be more conducive to recovery. Well, the lady who, who works there, Melissa, uh, sweetheart, she basically said, yeah, the lower level are better for recovery. And, um, and, and, you know, I, at some point during the time that I was there, she told me that, but I somehow missed that small, really important details and the competitive, my competitive edge. I need to go higher. To, <laughs> wanted me to go to Everest. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, but so now what I started doing is I started doing it at the much lower level so that I get the recovery benefits and man, has it made an incredible difference, incredible yeah. difference. It also made difference in my blood work, mm. as I was mentioning in another, in another podcast. So for 20 years, I was in the RCMP every year I was being tested or, um, well, there was a time where it was every year and there was a time was, it was every, every two or every three years. But anyways, the point is constant medical testing you know blood work full uh, full panels every time we we get our medicals and everything just to make sure everything's good to go and um and one of the things that the doctors thought might be genetic for me was a low white blood cell count i somehow always had low bl white blood cells i wasn't getting sicker than anybody or anything but my white blood cell count was always really low to an alarming point where they would test me for a whole bunch of stuff and seeing I didn't have anything. Mm. But overall, my, my health and my systems were excellent. So they were like, okay, well, I guess it's just genetic. Well, for the first time in my entire, you know, in, a, in at least a 20-year period, I tested um, above normal and at, at an optimum range with my white blood cell count. And the absolute only thing that's changed was the pod. Hmm. nothing else was changed. So it's not like, you know, if I had done 10 things, now it's, you can't skew the data because you're like, well, okay, you did 10 things. Which one of those things really benefited you? Whereas you change one thing. Yeah. That was it, you know? Yeah. Because I found out mm -hmm. about this stuff, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago, my wife has a history of uh, concussions. And uh, she, well, she found out because she hit her head and then she was concussed. And I'm like, I think, I think you have a concussion and she didn't know about it. And then, you know, it's a big deal. And she started doing her research as she always does. And if you go to most medical professionals, they'll say, yeah, there's not much we can do for it. But that's not what the medical literature said, because the medical literature says uh, hyperbaric chambers and also uh, magnetic resonance chambers, which we don't have in Canada, to my knowledge, actually can help. So she started going uh, to not the pod. She was going to like the full size, like where they go down, down to the depth and started feeling a lot better in, in combination with some other stuff. She did some stem cell stuff from her back, all independently researched. And you find out about this stuff and then all of a sudden problem, she had her whole life gone. 
And it's just amazing to find out this new technology with tons of medical literature. Right? It drives me nuts when you're like, yeah, we did a research. And they're like, oh, you did your research? You're not in a lab. You're not a doctor. It's like research is reading the literature <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. telling you stuff. And if I go to my doctor and say, hey, what about this? They're like, they shrug and they're like, I, well, even if I knew something about that, I can't say anything. And it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> so well, it's interesting. Know, yeah, it is. And 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 um, I, I mentioned Melissa earlier, uh, you know, with her, without getting the specifics, mm. that's how she became involved with this whole thing as there were some issues with physically, you know, physically some, some hurdles for her that seemingly nobody had an answer for. Hmm. And, um, and she ended up going to the States and, and getting into one of the pods and doing it for many, many hours every day for an extended period of time and done. And that was the sales pitch for them to buy the, the three machines that are $150,000 and change each yeah. <laughs> to bring back over to Vancouver so that we could, bring and you know what speaks volume to me is you have two people like this that i've taken an opportunity to call in a complete stranger that's going through a hard time on account of giving something to the gofundme which they didn't have to contribute a dime to and um, to, to do so on, on you know on account of a, essentially a community service and a service mm -hmm. to myself that speaks volume of the character so do you think that people like this are just out there like conning people with their fake machines you know mm. it, that is not in their makeup like that's not what they do they truly believe in it and that's the reason why i got an invite mm. what i've found from at least from my wife's experience i unfortunately haven't done the chamber myself um but is that the people who choose to get into these sort of alternative scientifically based medicines like the hyperbaric chambers they they're doing it because they want to help people get better when the system is kind of falling flat and i find that they're all very similar in that sense they had a problem they're like looked into it they jumped into it and then they're helping a lot of people where uh the uh, traditional medicine fails falls flat and you know i just I, i've made such a ch change in mental thinking in my life as you should um when i was younger i'm like rigid the rules are the rules and why would people lie to us and uh society only works like this uh very rigid conservative and then now i'm like i'm still a conservative because of reasons but i'm more open to realizing that some of the things that uh you know the hippy dippy left-wing people are saying about medicine might have actually been correct in that there are always alternatives to the traditional ideology that sometimes actually work a lot better, but for whatever reasons, corruption or ignorance or whatever, that nobody looks at them. You know, I, uh, if you look at uh, an example, uh, Ayurvedic medicine, the traditional sort of Indian Buddhist stuff, well, I'm sure some of it, or like anything, a large, large percentage of it doesn't do anything. There's probably that 10 or 20% that's like, oh, we really need to be looking at this. Um, breathing for example, I'm wondering, are you familiar with uh, Wim Hof breathing at all? Yeah, that, well, I mean, it's just diaphragmatic breathing, which yeah. is funny because diaphragmatic breathing should only be called breathing, but because we're not doing it correctly, <laughs> we're calling it diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Absolutely. I just bring it up because yeah. you realize, according to scientific literature, that breathing alone can do all sorts of wonders to the body. And it's, it's as preventative medicine goes, other than diet and healthy living and exercise, it's like learning how to breathe and control is like so important. 
And if you talked about this stuff, say, 10 years ago, you're like, you're a crazy hippie. And now it's like, oh, private funding has actually looked into this stuff. And you're like, huh. And I've started looking at uh, health and wellness and medicine as like, what do I need for optimization as an individual? And so whenever a doctor or anyone says, hey, you need to take this, I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying. But for me personally, do I need this for my life to get better? And often the answer is no, I don't need that. Uh, the classic example uh, I, I have, my listeners are probably tired of it, is I went on keto. It's high on protein. I go to my doctor. I'm like, I want to do blood work. I'm just just checking. I'm like, my cholesterol is going to be high. Just don't worry about it. It's the diet. It's normal. And of course, he calls me and you need to go on statins. And I'm like, 30 something. I'm like, no. I absolutely not. Now you're if you actually dig all the research on statins, it's like you, you re really shouldn't be taking them if you don't absolutely need them. <laughs> and you just that's what I mean by you really got to be your own doctor and and be willing to look at the scientific literature and consider alternatives. And then when you find this whole new world of the pods and you know the breathing it changes you like what have I been believing like what have I been told my whole life about medicine and then it just it changes. Yeah, but we can say, I agree with you, and, and I think that we can say that about absolutely anything. I think mm -hmm. we are generally operating on surface level of absolutely everything. If you were to go about your business, starting with, you know, selecting coffee in the morning, most people don't even know how to do that properly, yeah. right? And most people don't know how to shave properly either. Yeah. And, and there's ways to do that, and there's direction to the grain, and there's how many stroke on each side of your cheeks, and how, you know, which kind of, which kind of shaving cream you're using, and all these other things. I mean, this is just, you haven't left the house yet, mm, yeah. right? So just imagine it just, it essentially goes the same for everything else we do. We, 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 and I think I'm not, I don't want to rag on people that are not researching everything they do because mm. ultimately it becomes very, very overwhelming. And I think one of the best way to prevent being overwhelmed is to actually take things, you know, as they are, right? Mm. So here, if I say to you, you know, go ahead, this is the way, okay, good. So now I can focus my energy on all these other things. But we know that you should probably look deeper into this, mm. but you don't really have the time because every single thing you do could be looked in deeper, right? So it's it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's like, well, yeah. if you start looking too deep into everything, you don't get anything <laughs> done and you get overwhelmed. Yeah. And if you if you don't look into things, do you so I think having a workable knowledge of just slightly below the surface on most things is actually quite beneficial. And yeah. it, that includes medicine and it includes, you know. Yeah, no, I know people get annoyed at me because I'm like, have you like, do you know, and I'll say stuff like COVID, for example, and, you know, they'll be like, oh, are you a doctor? I'm like, no, I did my research. Of course, that has become a, a, a buzzword. It's like, oh, you're on Reddit. It's like, no, I, I read the scientific literature. Uh, have you? And they're like, no, I listened to this person on TV. It's like, okay, but I read the source of the information and I know what it said and I know why what they're saying is does not match up with what they're saying. And uh, I don't want to get into the COVID thing too much, but what I find the response of a lot of people is, oh, it's just too overwhelming, John. Like, I I'd just rather listen to that person. But I mean, that's where we, I think, as a society, we're getting into so much trouble because we keep listening to these people who may have some letters behind their names, but
but are clearly have some ulterior motives, whether good or bad, that aren't exactly beneficial for the individual and not necessarily for the group as the whole. Um, you know, medicine, I, I just, I am mind boggled at the amount of scientific literature, for example, on vitamin D, the immune system, and dealing with, let's say, certain, you know, viruses going around, and it's crickets, crickets from basically everyone at the top. And I'm like, and you tell this to people, and they're like, ah, I don't want to read the research, or uh, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, well, you told me to look up peer-reviewed studies. I'm looking up peer-reviewed studies, and it's the, the information is overwhelming on this topic, like overwhelming. And then you tell this to people, oh, I just, it's too much, John. I don't know what to believe anymore. And I just, this is, I think, think telling people to do their own research is, is it's like, well, that's why we have specialists and, and people just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, it takes work, man. Everything yeah. takes work, but everything, anything that's worth doing takes work. Yeah, things that people <laughs> don't like to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like we built this whole model on relying on doctors and specialists because if time is the enemy, um, they're the ones who put the time into that so they can tell us what we want to do so that I can focus on other things. And yet that model just is not working anymore. And now people need to really, you don't want to like ignore them completely, obviously, but it's like, is that really the best idea? <laughs> Who's paying you, man? <laughs> So I'm, I'm just a little bit of a rant, but I'm just I'm frustrated in the state of humanity and the unwillingness to like to dig deep below the surface, as you put it. You yeah, obviously do it, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm one of the things that you, well, you, you know, me and the, um, the sphere of influences, right? So mm -hmm. I will, I will actually invest in something I have a lot of control over. I will invest a little less in something I have some influence over and I will invest mm -hmm. none in something I have zero control over. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, this whole COVID thing and the escalation of it and the overwhelming, presence of it on the left and right over in the on the social media just drives me crazy like i i discard this thing i don't even look at it mm. hardly um you know f for me it's 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 been not because there's no value to any of the two sides or what's being uh what's gone around but because i have zero control over it and now it's like taking over our lives yeah. so what i am doing is i'm regaining control of my own life i'm making the decisions based on the totality of the circumstances and the things that the risk assessment that i conduct for myself i don't mm. impose it on anybody else and then i go from there but i certainly don't post about it and i don't read about it you know i'm done you know I you know what you know what the shit one. shit storm you know well, it was <laughs> It's not even about the re the repercussions. It, it's just about focusing on other things, you yeah. know. And and for four years, and a lot of people have forgotten that. But for four years prior to COVID, all we heard about on social media was Donald Trump. Like one man has hijacked social media for four years. Yeah. There wasn't a single person alive that didn't post daily on friggin' Do Donald Trump and whatever. And I'm like, oh man, four years of that, and we fall right into COVID. I'm like, no. That's yeah. it. I mean, there's yeah. certainly in many ways, it's a healthy decision because people who are just like, I'm disconnecting, I'm doing my thing. They're like, ah, I'm great. And as long <laughs> as you don't have like metaphorical Gestapo at your door, you probably won't even notice uh, mm -hmm. that that's going on. I mean, uh, I, it's certainly one way to do it. But I, I sort of brought that up because the tangent I wanted to go on was I asked you, you put out some uh, Instagram 
question, ask me questions. And I asked you, I think about leadership and I just left or right all political spectrums, every single country, almost not every country, but most I have seen a complete failure of leadership. Now I've been sort of thinking about this is, you know, the Donald Trump thing. Everyone was saying he's a populist leader. That is bad. That is bad. That is bad. And then I'm just looking at people on the other side. I'm like, you're literally doing populist leadership because you're just looking at polls and saying, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm just like, I see this as a complete fail of leadership. And people are like, well, that's democracy. I'm like, well, actually, representative democracy is supposed to be a barrier against mob mentality rule so that, yes, they listen to their constituents, which they don't do. But at the same time, they're supposed to also inform their constituents, hey, I can't do that that's a bad idea. And you know what, if you don't want to elect me next time, I can't in good conscience do what you want me to do. And I'm just seeing a complete failure of both representing their constituents and also informing their constituents. Because to me, a good leader doesn't just do what the mob wants. They say, listen, I know you guys want to do this, but based on the data, based on the current information that I have, I just can't do what you want me to do. And I'm just seeing, what do the polls say? So that aspect of leadership, what do you think of it? Well, here's another thing I stay away from a lot <laughs> is politics, right? And one of the reasons, one of the reason why is, is because not because there's no good people in there, but I think the system, by the way, the system is configured, um, will, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Essentially, everything will become about political survival. Mm. Everything becomes more about the political survival and having the ability to affect some change in some areas. And you have to, they have to prioritize and execute. So it's like, well, okay, well, I'm going to prioritize this. But then if this happens and I lose the election, then I can make this happen and everything. But what happens is ultimately, does anything ever get done? And, mm. and if it does, who does it? And so when I, when I think leadership, I generally don't associate it to leadership by the right you know definition of the word I, I generally don't don't associate it to politics mm. although in the obviously in the history there has been critical circumstances where all the white noise was pushed away and some people had to be executive leaders and make some really really critical decision that essentially saved our bacon made us be here today mm. but uh, I think that if 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 there is if there is nothing super critical and everything is kind of floating and everything everybody wants part of the pot and everybody is it's how do you even begin to win mm. how do you even you know I just think that the political system is a good um, the political system in the way that we are running them is is a good theoretical idea. I think operationally it 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 doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And certainly having the ability to do the things that you prioritize and remain in political in the political realm seem to be at odds a lot of the mm -hmm. times. So uh, if you know if I if I'm going to do a talk on leadership or if I'm going to have a, a on how leadership should be, politics is far from what I would be using mm -hmm. as a case study. Is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. So I just yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm at a loss for word because everyone's like, tell us. It's you know you ever uh, what's that? Uh, Life of Brian, the Monty Python skit. Yeah, yeah. It's where he's like. There, the mob is like, tell us what to do. And he's like, make your own decisions. They're like, what's the decision? And I'm just looking at society and I'm like, 
I don't even think people know what good leadership looks like anymore. And well, I, I don't know that most people have ever had good leadership. Yeah, that's you know, probably true. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk, talk, talk to people that, that work in different corporations or whatever. Like when somebody has or encounter a really good leader, you generally hear it from everybody. Yeah. And that's what, what this does is simply exemplify how rare it is. You know, and it is, it, it's rare, but then, but then there's the other piece of that, which is people are always looking at who should be doing, doing what for who at the leadership level. And there's a lot of deflecting of leadership because we actually can, you know, everybody has a leadership chip to play. Everybody does. Even if you're just a senior person in your organization, even if you're just a community leader and I say just not in a condescending way, I mean, you don't have an official title, but you're, yeah. you're one of those people. Um, you, you know, everybody needs to kind of stop deflecting leadership and start exemplifying leadership. And we're going to have, we're going to hold people to higher account. Like look no further than our friend, you know, Justin Trudeau, who somehow gets himself elected because he's got nice hair and he gets to, he gets to, you know, to the top of the, uh, of, of the thing. And that guy has not answered a single question he was ever asked. Like he, he and he his does MPs not. now. Yeah, he, he does not. Watched, like probably he, not. <laughs> well, I, I've watched some parliamentary sessions for sure, where 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 the questions are black and white, and he refuses to answer. But what happens as a society is it's actually it became it's so it's so common that it's actually accepted. And now, if you have Justin Trudeau come over for a chat, be ready for him to not answer anything. Basically, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, thought you didn't want to get into politics. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> kind of sucked me in there but, but i mean but, it's uh that's what i'm talking about is to you and me like forget my political affiliation or my beliefs in how society how anyone can look at that guy and say that's a leader i am just like i don't understand there's a there's a conservative mp i think it's he tries so hard not to laugh but uh pierre polivier i think he needs to run but he won't anyways um if you see him he has very black and white questions and he plays this silly dances in all these things. And he knows what he's doing. And he's just like, he'll be in like a whole round table of like economic experts and this. And he's like, uh, could somebody please answer this question that has a very black and white answer? Crickets. Uh, and I saw one the other day where he's talking to an, uh, across the board in the parliament. He's like, could you please uh, tell me what's the average price increase on housing in Canada? You should have those numbers if that's your job. And the, the, the liberal MP was just like, we have created this many jobs. And da, 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 da. and it was like back and forth for five minutes. And the, the, he kept rephrasing the question constantly. And then it just became yes or no. Well, what is, what's the number? Uh, and then the other the liberal MP just kept going back to jobs number. And it's like, do people, like, I know a lot of people don't even watch it. But like for the people who are like, I just, I want to bang my head against the wall at the absurdity of the unwillingness to answer simple questions. So either they they don't know, uh, so it's like intentional incompetence, or unintentional incompetence, or we if it's not either of those, it, we're getting into the realm of malicious intent. And I'm just like, what the or hell? Political or political survival? I mean, because it's not always malicious. Like you could have somebody refusing to answer because they don't have a political, a politically pleasing answer, yeah. right? And and they're afraid of the ramifications if they commit to something because that's what happens as soon as you say something. So well, they said, 
you know so so yeah it's anyways we probably lost everybody now there's only the no, two of us fine. speaking well I, is... <laughs> i'll tell people like this is on you the individual you the voter because you voted these clowns in and you're not saying anything about the way they're operating and when they give some generic answer you just say oh that's nice and it's like don't you want something like everyone has their issue that everyone has an issue that they like want to stick on i'm like and I, when i tell people like hey you need to vote for people who actually represent you but also can tell you back and if you keep tolerating this because i think everyone is so scared this is not even related to politics like the social media backlash even as an individual like you just post something on the internet we have social media has now become whether you're in politics whether you're an individual it's become like the town square and if you say the wrong thing you'll get a bunch of half the time i think they're just being bullies uh the other time i think it's just insecure people or uninformed people and they just jump on you and everyone is so terrified of speaking whatever it is forget politics i believe x and i see only a few people on my Facebook, for example, that just say whatever the hell they want. And I, I res even if I don't agree with what they're saying, I have immense respect for them because they, they just don't care. Now, for me, I've like, uh, I just like you, I'm like, I can't deal with this anymore. Uh, for me, it's a mental health thing. Like I can barely focus on the shit I have to do. So if I get all worked up on that, I'm like, uh. but it's just like that that is the acceptable behavior. I think like Mike Tyson said, like you're all so comfortable saying this stuff on the internet because no one's there to punch you in the face or something. <laughs> this is an actual quote from the man himself. Something like, it wasn't exactly, but yeah, it was something yeah. like that. It's just like, ah. And people seem Some totally of you have okay with weak. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it is uh, what it is, man. It's, it's the reality mind. we're operating in right now. Yeah. I mean, for you, I think you've been focusing on your own thing because you have to. You're dealing with your recovery and, and, uh, getting your business off the ground and it's like if you focus on that too much uh stuff is but i just think it's like as uncomfortable it is if when we get into the realm of leadership it's like that is going to come up uh because maybe you walk into a uh corporate setting and the head the guy who's paying you to be there is the problem and he's a total crazy person everyone knows it and then you have to confront these un, un uncomfortable political like it's internal politics in, in in the company and the uncomfortable nature of bad human behavior or, or whatever and then it's like how do we get people to realize that you know it is that personal responsibility thing <laughs> yeah there's a lot of work to do in the leadership world especially if if the person that somehow made it to the top spot that controls all the cards actually doesn't believe in basic leadership principles or doesn't have them. And to think that, you know, and yes, in a non-corrupt society, um, merit should be one of the keystone to head over to upper management positions. It isn't always the case. Hmm. And sometimes, sometimes, and the majority of the times, um, people that are you know, in the position of leadership, there's a reason why they are, whether it's their experience or whether they started a company or whatever the case may be. So they have demonstrated some leadership, but, uh, but there is a lot of people that are leading other humans that shouldn't be leading anything. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and the thing is, and one of the things that I, that I, that I often speak about in my leadership courses is 
look around the table here and I can guarantee you that all of you are better leaders than all the people that never go to leadership courses. And I, mm. we haven't even done anything yet, but yeah. I can guarantee you that because when people don't believe they have anything to learn or are not seeking to learn anything, you know, whether, where their, you know, mentality or their, their, uh, their mindset is when it comes to leadership. Right. Mm. I kind of got this dialed in. I've been here for so many years. I've done this for so many years and, and, um, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy trap to fall into. You become outcome biased. When you become outcome biased, if nothing's ever happened or if things have always happened according to your plan, but just because you were lucky, you, mm. now, you, know, you now start holding on to the fallacy that you're actually responsible for the positive outcome when really luck was. Yeah. People don't like to talk you know? about luck as a factor. <laughs> it and, is a factor. You know, you have skill. Uh, well, let's say jujitsu as a reference. If Let's say you're just not, you're not the top 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 to your guy but you're a, a guy and you go comp compete every single year and you don't really win and then one year you win some people forget sometimes you won because that particular year none of the guys who beat you or can beat you showed up so mm -hmm. and i'm not taking the skill away from it but mm -hmm. people don't like to talk about the luck factor because it, it is something that in many ways is out of your control and people don't like that uh, obviously you need to put in the work, you know, hard work with no hard work, you won't get there at all. If you don't do it, not happening. But when you talk about business successes, we always use the outliers as the examples, but they are the special ones because they hit the luck. They were in the right place. Now to some degree, you can make your luck. For example, like Elon Musk purposely moved to Silicon Valley instead of where he was because he knew that's where the connections were. So that's making your own luck versus you're just born there and you're a Bill Gates because your parents and you happen to be next to the only super one of three supercomputers at the time that you have access to. Like that's luck. And then he did the work. Uh, I don't know if you, you know, it's from the uh, book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, but then, but then it, go, it goes to the definition of success as well. Yeah right? Because everybody has their own definition of success. What success means to me right now in my mid 40s and where I'm at in my life is very different than potentially what, you know, Seb Lavoie, 22 yeah. year old would have would have defined us as, as being successful. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's very individually based, right? So I wonder if, if, because my wife has she, this whole thing about, it's about mating and money and, and resources. Because how much of that is us conscious modern monkeys saying this stuff to make ourselves feel better? Because, and take an example, the saying sex sells. People are like, sex doesn't sell. That's just societal. And then you're like, uh, according to biology and a lot of research, you have a lot of unconscious biases towards aesthetically pleasing individuals, taller individuals. And then we have all this marketing research showing that yes, sex does sell. So it's like this battle between, hey, it's like the, sort of the algorithm thing. Facebook's algorithm knows you better than you know yourself because it's just looking at the patterns. So how much of it is like our conscious modern monkeys trying to make ourselves feel better about the stuff we can't control? Like I'm a five, six stocky, angry looking Jew with a questionable personality. <laughs> like some of that I can fix, some of them I cannot. Uh, and people are like, oh, it's your attitude. I'm like, some degree it is, but some degree it is not. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, you have to factor in everything. Um, what do you think of that sort of sentiment? Well, 
I don't know. I, you know, I've had people tell me or ask me all the time, like, how was your career in the RCMP as a visible minority? I'm like, and I'm like, it was totally fine. Like, <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and, and I'm not certainly not downplaying some of the issues that some people legitimately mm -hmm. have had, but I will tell you this there's a lot of illegitimate issues that people create, you know, yeah. oh, this is because of my color. This is because of my gender. This is because of my, no, this is because you're useless. You need to work. No, it's true, right? You need to yeah. work on some of the things that you need to work on. You refuse to take responsibility for anything. You refuse to get better. You get offended as soon as we tell or, or we speak about performance. You don't think that anybody should be evaluating your performance. You're not, you know. So for me, it's, it's yes, there is going to be the outlier that perhaps won't like Seb Lavois because Seb Lavois is a mixed individual with a, also a questionable personality and some tattoos on his hands. But I don't even, that person does not register a bleep on my radar at yeah. all. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be driving through all the doors and that person isn't standing in front of all the doors. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so for me, I, I generally will stay the hell away from painting either myself in a box or other people in a box on account of whatever and deflect responsibility for the lack of success or for the, the issues that have that have occurred over the course of their life because a lot of the times you see people justifying misery or mm. mediocrity on account of what others did and didn't do for them and i just mm. hate that mm. it's like no man like you know do what you can and if you can't go that way there's like 900 other ways you can go hmm. pivoting you know back to that yeah point. exactly yeah. exactly ba ba back to the basic concept but i try to stay away from that as much as i can yeah but, it's, but it's, it is uh, true i mean there is it's it's like that fine battle what what you can control like the aa saying you know god give me the thing the things i can't control whatever it is it's like one of the existential like difficulties of humanity <laughs> now with that being said sort of going in tangent because you mentioned you want to talk about often the really talented emotionally skilled people can hide the things that are going on in their own lives when they're doing stuff most people i find cannot because they'll snap at you on a bad day or they or they will not but we often don't like to talk about personal things uh affecting our ability to function in life uh, as you mentioned, you can deal with injury, you can deal with uh, you know, pivoting, but dealing with heartbreak is a very difficult thing as yourself going through that. Now, I can speak about that myself because heartbreak is what caused my original manic depressive episode, which set me off on the path of realizing, oh, shit, something's wrong with me mentally. I've probably always had that problem but i didn't know i had that problem uh i can get into it further with myself is that anecdotally because i don't have the money to pay for all the scans and testing and all this stuff but I, through trial and error it very much seems like for me if we want to get biochemistry my dopamine uh serotonin stuff is not what would be considered normal which is why a lot of people perceive me a certain way. I had a, I have a jolly friend, for example, who's like happy. He's like, John, you look miserable. I'm like, actually, today's today's a pretty good day. So when you're dealing with the biochemistry and it can throw you off, 
to put you in a manic state, which for a lot of people, nothing puts them in that state except heartbreak because you're just your your internal biochemistry just goes on a, a loop and you have no idea what's going on. Um, what do you want to expand on that topic? And and well, I mean, I mean, we know that heartbreak acts on the brain mm. the same way opiates do. Yeah. You know, so so once once a separation occur, um, a romantic separation occur, you're basically reacting as if somebody just cut your opioids cold turkey. Mm. And and so everything that that comes down from that in terms of withdrawals is exactly the same as an opiate or a cocaine addiction. Mm. And so there is a physio there is physiological things that are that are happening in your head, right? And one of the one of the one of the things that I that that really, you know, I've had a few heartbreaks in my life. Um, more recently, you know, a, 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 a really, really big one. And, um, and, and what I can say is, there is no way for me to stop the playing the greatest hits in my head, right? So what happens is, is, is your brain just goes to, you know, all those moments, you know, the little smiles, the little, you know, the little kiss, the little this, the little that, whatever it is, your brain makes everything perfect. And it's all romantic. And everything is, it's essentially playing the greatest hits of your relationship. Mm -hmm. But what it does, what, what it doesn't do is to show you know, perhaps some of the toxicity in the relationship or some of the things that you didn't like about the relationship or some of the things that were playing out wrong in the relationship and, and those other things. And so what happens is the brain is trying to get you that fixed. It's trying to get you that fixed. It's trying to, it's trying to patch the withdrawals rather than fixing the problem overall, right? So we have mm -hmm. to override that. I mean, that has to be overridden by, by humans making conscious decisions to say, look, I know I'm playing the greatest hits in my head right now, but the reality is there was this issue, that issue, this issue, that issue, this issue that kept on, re, you know, reoccurring and, and there were some issues. And so when you start being more realistic about how you're processing the information as it goes through your mind, you can start fighting some of those things. But if you are not and you are letting the greatest hits play incessantly in your head, like what a devastating place to be. It is one of the hardest thing, you know, to ever be put through. And I compared it with uh, the ordeal with my leg, was, which was absolutely nothing, mm -hmm. you know, nothing. Like if you love hard, heartbreak is going to be absolutely atrocious. Yeah. So the question is, the question is, how, how do we, how do we continue? How do we, yeah. how do we move on? How do we, how do we get ourselves out of that? you know, space, because you have to, like, you yeah. can't. And it's interesting, you know, I, I, it had me contemplating, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a fairly resilient human, I consider myself having had a lot of adversity in my life. And I was hurting hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, what if you have a very low resilience level? What if you have not experienced true adversity? What if you have all these other things? And all of a sudden you get hit with that. And we wonder why people go crazy, you know, like mm -hmm. it makes, it can make you do crazy things. And <laughs> I'm by all means, not justifying the doing of crazy things. But what I am saying is that, is there no will, is there no benefit to say, teach young boys and young girls how to handle breakup? 
mm. you know, how and, 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 and when in life this occurs and everything, it's, you know, for a philosophical debate for an, another time. But I feel like there is no guidance on how what you are supposed to expect when you're heartbroken, how are you supposed to get over it? Hmm. And some people will just say, well, just get over it. Well, you just wait, pal. Maybe <laughs> you haven't had the maybe you haven't had the person that you consider the one yet, or maybe you haven't had the one person that had had the ability to trigger certain things in you. But one day it's going to happen and you are going to eat those words because it is a really, really tough place to be. Hmm. So having having, you know, front load or or a preemptive approach to preparing people like, look, it's inevitable. It's going to happen in, in life. And how can we, how are some of the coping mechanisms and how can you get better every day mm -hmm. instead of waking up six months later and being in the exact same hurt hole, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, uh, I, man, I can expand on this topic so much. Well, first of all, mm -hmm. I just, it's, it's people might traditionally think here's a big, tough ex ERT guy, martial artist, and they're talking about this. And, and, you know, I have, I've always been an open book with, with this kind of stuff to anyone who knows me. And I find a lot of guys, they just don't want to talk about it either because they're of the old school mentality. And then, but when you look into the research or either because they're old school mentality or the way a lot of this stuff is presented by, let's call them leftists, sounds like a bunch of lunatic, like nonsense. But the reality is we need to find a way to talk about it uh, in a more objective, neutral perspective, because in the end, we're all a human. And, you know, for me, I had that manic depressive episode in 2012. What happened to me is, again, love of my life at that time. Now I'm just like, no, 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 no. she's actually nuts. And I say that because she was bipolar. <laughs> but the it, and then I talked to my doctor and he's like, you know what the worst combination for people with depression is? It's bipolar people because depressive people need um, stability and bipolar people are all over the place. And in this particular case, I think she was a narcissist uh, manipulator, which made things even worse. But what that did is, you know, I lost, I, 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 I lost like 30, 40 pounds in like two weeks. I was on the couch in between, like I went to work uh, and I was on the couch. Uh, my nervous system was shot. I was visibly shaking. And this is actually the point in my life where I realized that most of the people in my life don't really care about me because I was visibly not like visibly not okay. Nobody said anything. Coworkers didn't say anything. Most of my supposed friends didn't say anything. So from that point on, I sort of had to rebuild uh, everything because it sent me into this crazy spiral. Um, and yeah, I'm sure I wasn't pleasant to be around at the time, but still to this day, nobody, nobody talks about it. And that, when you don't have that support network, it's even worse. But what it did is it set a baseline of, I don't want to do that again. So let's say the next time that sort of heartbreak happened, uh, this time the person was not crazy, just, you know, circumstances and stuff. And it's like, as you can see the, the symptoms of say heartbreak, or you can see the things or like, or this person is going to crush me. And then in one part of your, my brain, it's like, no, I want to be with this person more than anything. But then my prefrontal cortex is like, listen, you may be totally like schmitten for this person, but from a compatibility perspective, it, it doesn't work. 
and you have to sort of overcome that and it's that constant battle between your primal your primal needs and it goes even deeper than this there's a, a lot of research on this actually uh so research a psychologist or whatever uh, helen fisher and they've broken it down even further that biochemically uh, there is actually a difference between romantic love, which is that I want to be with them all the time. I want to sleep with them. I want to see them and touch them and this and that versus companion love, which are probably the best mates for long term, the ones that you're like best friends with. That, and that, it can go male or female. It doesn't have to be uh, sexual. It can just be like, they're my best friend, bro, like that kind of thing versus the kind of love you have for like children. And biochemically, it's all different. But from a societal perspective, we've had that, what I call the Disneyfication is where all think romantic love is this thing and it's the strongest emotionally and biochemically. But that's what makes relationships fail because a good relationships usually are much more on the middle love, which is the mm -hmm. they're my best friend companionship and I like being with them and we can talk and we can do that. And I find the emotional strain aside People don't understand how to differentiate those types of love and also consciously override the pain. Because, uh, again, this is a topic I relate to. Like, that is one of my kryptonites historically. Mm -hmm. And I can say I was not planning on getting married this year, but there was almost, for me, a relief that I'm married because I don't have to go through that crap again because for me it's very painful like very mm -hmm. painful it's one of the things that can totally screw me up you can ask some of my my people who've known me a long time that's like John when he's fine and then John when he's going through a breakup and it's totally mm -hmm. different dude it's it's I would I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy I I honestly you know it's it's devastating and it's not going anywhere and and um and it's tough you know one of the things that i was speaking to um to a friend of mine yesterday was how amazing would it be to have either the technological advances or to have some spiritual experience where you can actually take somebody's hand put it on your chest and go feel this yeah and for them to like have all their insecurities subsides and everything because they actually get to feel what it feels like you know and it's and it's an interesting conversation because we you know we tell we tell each other like we 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 love each other or we tell somebody that we love them and everything but what does that actually mean mm -hmm. what does that actually mean to that person and what am what do i actually mean by it so there's there's ways to obviously trying to get to a common ground by explaining what that means like what does it mean to me and this is what i'm telling you you know that i feel for you but at the same time imagine if we had the visceral ability to like say feel this you know mm -hmm. instead of like me trying because when we are trying to having a we're having a conversation about it we are trying to elicit emotions but we're doing it with our cerebral right that we're actually we're actually engaging in a cerebral kind of conversation and we're trying to elicit some emotions in there and yes there is going to be some but it's just it's a bit of a clinical level right it's at the clinical level so it's kind of yeah. a little bit it's a little bit off whereas if you could say you know i think a movie like the green miles for example where mm. he can pass the pain over to somebody else and say feel mm. this for five minutes and tell me if you want any part of that yeah. or Perhaps it doesn't change anything. Perhaps it changes everything because everything that was 
that the, the other person perceived as being wrong in the relationship actually weren't that bad considering how much love that person is getting from that person, you know, yeah. like, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I mean, it's all sci-fi sci and, 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 and philosophical conversations, yeah. but I just, I just feel like it's extremely tough to, even if you use all the right words, how people process verbiage, how people corroborate the words that they are speaking with actions, because that's huge. I mean, I've been told a lot of things in my life, but I know when I'm not getting those things from the actions of the person, right? Like, yeah. and so, and so, you know, it's just, there, there ought to be a way, there ought to be a way for us to build connections and have the ability to convey with deadly accuracy, you know, some of those, yeah. some of those key messages, right? Like, Oh, I, I, I love you. Well, okay. That's great. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mm-hmm. mean to you? You know? So I don't know. It's just, we're having like conversations, but I, I had, I had volunteered that I, I go, imagine mm-hmm. how, imagine how amazing it would be if you could take somebody's hand and go, boom, you mm-hmm. know, feel this. And then they're like, Holy Jesus, like that's yeah. a lot of love, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm touched by this, you know, like I'm a, thank you for doing this. Like it changed my life, you know, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, and, um, yeah, it, it, you know, I've had a lot of time to kind of be here, you know, during the holidays and 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 thinking about those things and and in the you know for anybody with a growth mindset, um, this is always going to be something that how can I be better next time and how can I do certain things better and how can I be better for myself as well mm-hmm. in terms of respecting my own boundaries and and, and those types of things. Mm-hmm. But man, like we are not doing a fantastic job at conveying, you know what's going on in our in our relationships and yeah. we're living it skimming the surface the same way we do everything else but oh, i wonder if that's one of the long-term goals elon musk has with his Neuralink project since all his relationships <laughs> have failed well but, i don't uh, know about that dude but yeah it's yeah. it's creepy but at the same time that when you hear him talk about it yeah it's actually course. to do with that communication thing yeah, yeah. is that as you kind of alluded that words are not sufficient sometimes mm-hmm. to convey what you're feeling uh, in addition uh, uh if you don't have good role models growing up of how to specifically talk about stuff you don't you learn mm-hmm. certain uh, sure. patterns of speech now i listen to uh, unfortunately he doesn't do it anymore but eric weinstein uh, he's an intellectual and the way i listen to the way he debates or discusses in disagreement with other people and i got something really useful out of it people find it annoying as hell but when you're actually talking to people let's say you both speak fluent english you grew up with fluent english and you're having a conversation you know this could be friendship this could be romantic this could be whatever is is a lot of times that the words that you're using you people literally have different definitions of the same word and so what he does he's like i just want to clarify this word i'm using what does that mean to you and if you can't clarify those specific meanings of those words you're having two separate conversations, even though you're not. And that concept, when I started hearing, I was just listening to how he talks. He's not teaching people that. I'm like, huh, that solves a lot of problems because the what I'm thinking that word means and what you thinking that word means. Uh, and you know, I'm you know a multicultural uh, relationship, and my wife speaks multiple languages. English is not her first language. She's fluent in English, but there's still sometimes there is clearly communication problems and one side or the other has to admit like yeah i don't actually know what that means 
but most people they don't like doing that like i'm sorry i don't understand what that means could you please explain to me now a couple things can happen either they're just like this is too exhausting i'm just gonna go do something else now or it's gonna be like oh then you start getting those clear lines of communication open and uh, one i think for relationships and heartbreak it's we need a better understanding of how the human body works and what is love and stop letting Disney's movies tell people what that is. Cause I think a lot of people expectations of what relation healthy relationship looks like are just not good. We also need to learn how to communicate a little bit more effectively. It does not help when you have people in dictionaries, randomly changing words to, to suit political things. That is not helpful guys off topic. But um, when, when that kind of behavior happens, if I'm, 50 year old who learned how to speak and all of a sudden these youngins come up with different terminology that I'm completely oblivious to of we're going to have a communication problem mm -hmm. and and just learning to communicate effectively in the moment uh and about uncomfortable emotions which you know people find off-putting like for example I'm I'm an open book with uh, I'm emotionally yet we hear like tying back to leadership is people don't want to listen to your emotional baggage because they have their own emotional baggage. And we get in this, 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 this trap where we, Oh, how so? Yeah. How I disagree. Yeah. Look at David Goggins, for example, mm. you want to Goggins, you know, nobody wanted to produce that can't hurt me book. Oh yeah. yeah. No, why? Cause nobody's going to relate to this. It's the other mm. way around. Yeah. We're walking around like hostages or we're walking around pretending that everything's cool and done. Everything's good to go. And, and the reality is, is very different. But once we start establishing the commonality between us is that we're all going through those things. And this is how this person dealt with it. And this is how this person dealt with it. And this is how we have a variety of options opening up on how to be dealing with certain things that we're, that we're feeling. Instead, we're trying to control images. Like mm. this is what we're doing. We're controlling, we're controlling, you know, how we're being perceived. We're controlling judgment and we're, yeah. and, 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 and for a reason, because people do judge and you, you know, and, and there is things that are associated with that. And that's why it's such a, a, a difficult battle to get people that have, you know, uh, some, 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 some mental or emotional issues to, to, to seek the help that they need to have, because everybody's like, Oh yeah, yeah. You, you need to be talking about this, but uh, I really won't talk about it myself. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I, I really, I, I don't need any of this. So now you, you've made it, you've made it a thing, whereas it actually isn't. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, I really don't really care to follow the trends. I mm -hmm. really don't care. You know, like, I don't care that, that some guys that's supposed to be something is 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 telling us about you know breakups or whatever you know like i really i really don't care i mean it, it is what it is it's a reality of life everybody you can judge me you can you can call me whatever we're working through it but the bottom line is we need to stop pretending mm. that we have it all together yeah you know because it's not helping yeah. and we don't none of us do in the mm. book that I that I'm writing with Sean Taylor, we have a we have a chapter called "Relax, We're All Crazy," yeah. you know, and that's just it. It goes to speak exactly about that. It's it's listen, you know, we can stand here and I pretend on my side, you pretend on your side, and we go nowhere, and we just keep doing that, mm. and 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 this this, you know this isn't going to get any better anytime soon. See, it's or, actually, we actually agree 100%. What I was sort of saying is that 
we're sold this idea that we shouldn't. Now, an example, I have actually two examples. One, one childhood, one, you know, the show mm -hmm. Malcolm in the Middle? Yep. So that show to me was like, it made me feel normal because up until, it sounds crazy, right? But it's like up until then, what do we have? These families who are never screaming at each other. They're all like, their disagreements are just so civil. And I'm like, not to throw my parents under the bus, but let's say one of my parents, I mean, really screams and shouts. And I was like, see, so when people are telling me, like, you're yelling at me, I'm like, this isn't yelling. Like, you have no idea what yelling is then. And then I saw Malcolm in the middle and I'm like, so it's not just me. I'm not crazy. Apparently other people are doing it. And it normalized it a bit. And I think that's why that show did so well, because it showed what a lot of families are actually going through. And a more modern one is, have you seen the movie Don't Look Up yet? I have not, no. So you have this cast of amazing actors, like all I've Oscar seen the trailer. Movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this movie, other than it just, I feel so annoyed because it just parodies reality so well. But these actors have done such an amazing job at their characters. And everyone, I was talking to a lot of people who are like, I don't like that movie. I think it's weird. Da, 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 da. And what I've been telling people, I'm like, the reason why you have trouble with that movie is because the acting is so on point and those characters are so believable. You have the neurotic scientist with, with all of a sudden he's famous and he, the, you have the politician who only cares about their polling number. You have these people who could be real people in real life and it makes you feel uncomfortable because you all found a character that you hated. You all found a character that you related to. It was characters that were believable but we're so used to nicely polished streamlined not seeing the, the flaws in humanity that it's making people uncomfortable and everyone's finding a reason not to like that movie and i'm like the acting is amazing because that could be the advisor for the scientists right now for covid that could be the politician and i mean they're drawing from real people for sure but i'm like that's how it really is going behind the scenes. And you don't like to admit that that's probably, they're all freaking out. They all don't know what they're doing. As uh, Ben Shapiro said, you all think it's House of Cards, it's Veep. You know, just mm -hmm. a clown show. And uh, that's the world, that's the reality we live in. And I agree with you. We need to, I've been saying this for years. We need to be more honest about who we are as people. And when I bring that up, people get upset. And they're like, I, I, no, that's not how we behave in society. And I'm like, grow up, you know. I think we do need to get to a point where it's not just a kumbaya circle. We need to talk about our feelings, but we need to be honest about, listen, humans are animals and we behave in a certain way. And until we start being honest, and I don't care what the poll numbers say, I don't care what the image says, I guarantee you society will be better as a whole in the long run. It'll be uncomfortable at first, obviously. But when we start being honest about who we are, what we are, why we're doing stuff, the output will be far greater because we're cutting out all the bullshit. I think, if that makes sense, no one wants yeah, to do and it. I mean, <laughs> and you know what? Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about integrity, right? It's, and for me, there isn't. I will lose everything over losing my integrity. You know, like I'm my integrity as a person. I will not compromise on who I am and and what I'm willing to accept and what I'm willing to share and discuss and and all these other things. And the last thing that's on my mind is how that's going to 
be perceived or how that's going to be, you know, and, and I really don't give a shit. I mean, think about it this way. The two of us are having a conversation here. We're full of opinions. It's the opinions of two guys. Like you don't have to listen to any of that. Right. And so I do the same when I listen to a lot of the speakers that I like to listen to, like whether it's Jordan Peterson or, or, or Guy Winch or others, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are and how good they are. I miss selective in what I take and what I take in, in my own, you know, and I yeah. take in sort of the information with a grain of salt at all times. It's yeah. like, I, I really, really like this about what was just said, but however, I disagree with this and that's totally fine. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't discount or discredit this person at all. It's just, this does not, it's not relatable for me because of this or that reason, you know? Mm. And so when you start having the ability, excuse me, having the ability to do that, you start having the ability to take the best out of everybody you encounter mm. and, 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 and take it for yourself and discard, discard the things that you don't want anything to do with. But yeah. when you start, when you start saying, okay, well, that person said this, therefore I never listened to them again. You may be missing the opportunity of listening to a variety of different things that actually they were straight on point. Mm. And if we are to judge people on the last stupid things they did, none of us would be anything right yeah. because we all at times say something that's completely ridiculous we all at times say something that's off-sided we all at time at times make mistakes we and so as you as you alluded to earlier the uh the the, the current social construct which is you know about essentially um you know getting people in the court of public opinion or getting him sentenced in the court of public opinion, especially mm. when it comes to social media, uh, is, is exactly, is exactly that. Just wait for your day, pal, because yeah. it's coming. It's coming. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if, if, if now your group of friends or everybody, you all get canceled eventually. <laughs> everybody's good to go, but you'll get canceled for something. <laughs> they freaking cancel Pepe to pew for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, on that note, I just, the inability of people to understand historical context is mind-blowing to me. It's like, dude, that's how they were uh, 50 years ago, just accepted as, as reality. It's like I had a social psychology professor, and uh, he had this theory. Oh, they loved me. <laughs> he had this. He tells you about the theory of human behavior and how he, his theory, the professor's theory, and what he got his PhD on. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm like, do you know? I think that. If I took that theory on human behavior and took it 100 years ago, I think it's not going to apply at all. And therefore, your theory doesn't apply to consistent human behavior or something like that. And just he, I forgot what I said, but I just saw the look of horror on his face when he realized that his whole theory was not good. <laughs> that, was that that or just that he was being questioned by you? <laughs> he was a suit. No, he, he was actually a really nice guy. And uh, of oh, yeah. all the professors who I questioned, uh, I don't remember his name, but he, I remember him being a nice guy. And he just the look of like, I think he's right, like crap, because it, the whole theory just doesn't, it wouldn't apply 100 years ago. And I don't think it would apply 100, 100 years in the future. And it's like, if I want first principle theory, I'm like, you just wasted your life, man. Uh, he was a good teacher, but it was just like, nobody wants to, <laughs> to hear that, that times change, things are different. And if this idea or theory that I believe, can it apply consistently throughout history? And if it doesn't, we can only look back, not forward in that context. It's like you just have to understand, like Pepe Le Pew, like that's just how they were. It doesn't make it right according to current modern standards. 
or wrong, to be honest, because morals are actually more relative than people want to admit. But it's just like, that's what it was. And if I, as, if I show that to a cartoon to a child, you know what they're going to think? Cool, a skunk. Oh, look at those hearts. That's what the kid is going to think. They don't give a crap about your politics. Like, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you know, like we, we all grew up in a generation where Disney movies were absolutely atrocious, like murders and, <laughs> <laughs> and all kinds of other things. But, uh, hey, we yeah. all drank from the hose. We all, we all rode in the back of pickups without seatbelts and good to go. But is it like bad or is it more relatable? Because if you watch like 80s, anything from the 80s as like horrible that decade was they're more believable they're just more raw no, of i course. find you know versus yeah. the 90s started sanitizing everything heavily and i don't know what the hell we're doing now um, well i think it's always the case though right it's 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 almost it's almost the tendency is to go black or white yeah. there's it's very rare that somebody says hey there's shades of gray here yeah why don't we just uh you know we don't need to murder cinderella but we also don't need you know, like it's just, it's the same. Like Pippi the Pew doesn't need to force that lady against her will. But what yeah. about she loves him back? You know, like yeah. maybe, maybe it happens. I don't know. What if they're into some kinky stuff? <laughs> like they had a, oh, in, in the new series, <laughs> Cowboy Bebop, they had a whole episode on that where this couple of like crazy criminals, like she's like, I'm running away from my bad guy. Da, 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 da. And then he's about her ex-husband's about to shoot her like adopted daughter. And then. She says the safe word and the, they're like, oh, all over each other. And then the daughter's like, this was just a sexual act. This whole thing you had me <laughs> running around. Right. Oh, that's you know, I just think it's funny because the same people who will cancel stuff will also sit there and talk about spectrums and different people. And it's like, ah, so you admit that people can approach things differently and you may not understand it, but they may be actually totally OK with that thing. Obviously, rape is not good, but just. From yeah. like example of Cowboy Bebop, it's like sure, people sure. need to understand things are different for everybody. And if as long as people are happy and not hurting each other, then what the hell does the, all your stuff you're talking about is nonsense. Right? Mm -hmm. I find when it gets into the malicious, I'm intentionally doing stuff that's harmful or hurtful. People don't often don't ask, hey, does that bother you? They just say they shouldn't do that. Da, 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 da. But you really should say, hey, is that a problem? And then just stay on top of it because obviously some people won't be honest, but a lot of people will be like, no, it's fine. And then that's up to them. Like if, if they're happy or not, it's like that friend of mine is like, John, you seem miserable. And I'm like, actually today is a good day. And then I have to explain to them, you know, the dopamine and the biology. And they just like, they give me, <laughs> what are you talking about? But uh, the human factor is certainly a, a complicated thing for sure. Oh, it is. It's a complicating factors. And then, and then there's there's humans that generally just like to elicit a reaction anyways and i think you might be one of them so <laughs> oh here's the thing i don't like to do it it's just yeah. intrinsic to my nature is yeah. i am i'm a little compulsive mm -hmm. so if i get my head on i want to talk about this like i mean for sound this is going to sound arrogant but it's like intelligent people like to talk about ideas and concepts and theories and less intelligent people want to talk about things so if you want a small yeah. talk about yeah people and things if you want to talk about people and things which is what most people want to do i'm like i don't want to i want to talk about this stuff and it, it's antagonistic to a lot of people either because they don't want to admit they don't understand what the fuck i'm talking about in the first place or because they don't agree with me and they haven't learned how to meaningfully debate now it's totally fair if as you said listen i don't have the capacity it's not my world. I don't want to. But here's the thing. What bothers me about a lot of people who believe or are like that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, I don't need that in my life. That's fine. What I want those people to do is be honest mm -hmm. and just tell me, hey, John, 
I don't need you in my life or hey John that's not for me go away what do they do instead they'll be like oh yeah yeah, yeah for sure I'll, I'll come on the podcast for example and then crickets and I'm like hey just tell me you think I'm an asshole I would very much prefer that and then I don't waste your time because I'm not going to come back three months and bug you again if you think I'm an asshole and I clearly you don't want to talk to me uh, and that's the other thing is like intent like I know you're joking, but it's like, oh, you just like to antagonize people. So, well, I don't because I, I said elicit enough... a reaction, yeah, not antagonize true, people. True, true, true. <laughs> elicit a reaction can be positive too. Yes, true. Not that necessarily is true. negative. For me, actually, with my mental health issues, I just, I cannot deal with too much. Like I get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So it's like, as much as I do elicit reactions from people, I'm not actually looking for an argument. <laughs> and I'm a lot better <laughs> nowadays. I'm like, you want to put out poorly written arguments on Facebook, you go ahead. I'm going to go do something else now because in my head, you, your argument is garbage because of X, Y, Z, and I'm not sitting here yelling at you. Um, but I'm not, not having an yeah. argument on Facebook. <laughs> if I'm bored, I will. The, uh, the eliciting the reaction, though, is creating an adverse situation which forces some kind of resolution. And the avoidance of that I don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about the relationships. Don't talk about heartbreak. Don't talk about this because it's uncomfortable. And I don't agree with you is why we keep ending up in these problems. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. It. I mean, <laughs> we, we gotta have, we gotta have conversations or we gotta have conversations that are extremely varied and we're going to have them with varied people. So we have a lot of different output. Yeah. And input. Sure. Now yeah. I, I actually got to go in a little bit, but I wanted to, if you want to, because you, you were in the process of writing a book, is that something you want to talk about at all? Because sure. I am a little curious about yeah, the book and what we can mm -hmm. look forward to. Yeah. So uh, this is a result of a, of a cooperative effort between myself and Sean Taylor, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Sean is a former Canadian Forces Pathfinder, uh, former PPCLI, former Airborne Regiment, uh, Second Commando, and also retired as a... Um, uh, chief, uh, no, a warrant officer with, uh, with, uh, JTF two. Hmm. And, um, that's our black know, ops. Canada has it. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. And they are, and, and they are tier one and they are, um, extremely capable and competent, but, uh, but he's, he's no different than, than the rest of them, but he's, he's got some years, you know, of coaching as well at very high level athletes. And, uh, and so what the goal of the book is, if I was to, if I was to, um, in a nutshell, is essentially the pursuit of excellence in a 360 degree world. And I mean, a 360 degree scan around, you know, your own life, you know, so I'm pursuing this goal of going to special operation, I'm pursuing this goal to, to be the best in business, I'm pursuing this goal, everything has a cost and everything has an equal, an equal and opposite reaction. So how can we mitigate some of the cost associated with the pursuit of excellence in certain fields along the way. And, and, and there are ways to do that. And over the years, as we go through our careers and everything, we look back and go, man, I wish I could, I could have said that to my 20 year old self, mm. you know, 20 years ago that I, or 25 years ago, I would have known it would have been a perfect timing to learn about this. But what we do know is it's never passed on. This information is never really passed on. So how can I avoid the pitfalls of, you know, A, B, C, and D in pursuing excellence? How can I mitigate the, the, the negative ramifications of the pursuit of excellence on my family, my friends, my whatever, whatever. So what we're doing is we're basically having, you know, 
candid conversations with people saying, look, there is absolutely nothing wrong with putting all your eggs in the same basket, but there is a time where that's going to have an offsetted cost. And that cost that you might pay might be a lot more than what you bargained for. That includes, you know, obviously post-traumatic stress disorder, occupational stress injury, any of the other uh, types of duty related and, and, and not only duty related because people do get some occupational stress injuries in the corporate world as well. And a lot of people don't understand, you know, that that's a thing, but it is a thing. And it's, and it's a, and it's a, and it's a, a very, um, slippery slope as well. You know, it, you don't need to necessarily go to war to experience this. So evidently, if you experience this in war, you're going to have an intensified experience, but there's still there's still some some impact, some negative impact. So our goal is to is exactly that to say, look, there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of excellence and wanting to be the best, the absolute best at what you, at everything you do. But here's what you need to know. You know, those are some of the traps that you might fall into, or those are some of the things that you are not going to fall into because you now know about them. But just keep your eyes peeled for some of those, you know, triggers or red flags or whatever. And so that you can, when you find yourself at a crossroad, you can actually make the right call based on the totality of your circumstances at the time, not mm -hmm. what Seb would have done or what Sean Taylor would have done. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially the, the premise of the book. So... Advice you wish your dad would have given you, but didn't <laughs> something like that. No, it's exactly. good. I think we need more of that, like just less bullshit mentorship. That's not about making sales, but like, what do I actually need? Just tell me what the, tell me right now what I need. Oh, well, you know, like we need to cut all that nonsense out and just say, hey, don't fuck up. Here's why. Here's a solution. Here's problem solving. I, I definitely look forward to uh, reading yeah, it. There's... Yeah, go on. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, um, you know, th th there's that. And then there's, there's, you know, um, some of the expectations. Let me put it to you this way. Like we, there's a lot of influencers. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of influence, you know, and, and we call them influencers. I mean, whether or not they're actual Instagram influencers, but, uh, but uh, there's, I find it's very uh, uh, one-dimensional for the most part as it pertains to, and it generally has to do with physical toughness or mental mm -hmm. toughness as it pertains to physical activity, generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not yeah. always the case, but it's very often the case. And so a lot of the things that we don't know anything about is because the people that are proliferating the message are actually not comfortable with talking about it. So mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of this. And again, not to turn this into a, you know, a sob fest or anything like that. But if you look at a guy like, say, Jocko, for example, right? Amazing leader. By all, by all account, he was a fantastic leader for his, for his boys and for the guy, for the people that worked for him during his time as commander. And, and, and that's pretty much across the board. I've never heard anything different from the guys. But the thing is, you know, Jocko's level of emotional intelligence is far exceeds most humans right yeah. and so if you want if you want jocko to 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 have to take a pause to continue speaking just have him speak about mark lee hmm. right and have jocko explain what mark lee meant to him and all these other things and what you're going to find out very quickly that the reason why jocko was such a good leader is because he cared deeply hmm. He, he did. So all these other things that is are accessory after, after the fact. The fact is he is an, a very emotionally intelligent man, 
But now what we have is a bunch of people waking up at four o'clock in the morning wanting to be hard, <laughs> right? And so, and so, and they're like all out on the pursuit of being the toughest person around. You are missing an entire other side of that that mm. is critically important in that compassion, in that, in that care, in that, and, and you are going to need to bring those up together at the same time if you are to be the leader that he was, regardless of how many lessons you are taking from him, mm. right? And those are things that we can affect. There's no question that we can. And those are, those are things that have data attached to them. And there are things that have, you know, ways to make things better attached to them. And all we need to do is to have the conversation. But don't you sit there looking at all these, these, these tough guys and these tough girls that are, that are doing amazing, amazing things, but they're doing it one dimensionally. And for you to think that that's it. That is only, you know, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. You are not seeing the entire picture. And so the goal with the book was to have some of those conversations as well to say there, you know, there is, there's a lot more than one dimensional approach to the pursuit of excellence. And you, you are going to need to be aware of that so that you may grow some of the things that you necessarily don't have as natural assets. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I like that though. Uh, all we need to do is have the conversation. Is that going to be the title of the book? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, all we need to do is have the conversations. Now, yeah. all they need to do is to actually take the information in and look at it, right? Yeah, for sure. And so it's it's lining up. It's lining up to be to be very very good and very interesting. We're we're in the reviewing process now, where we have all the framework. You know, like all the chapters are in, but mm -hmm. we're just sort of self-editing and then it's going to be the actual editing so we're you know probably a six months to a year away from an, any re pending release and mm -hmm. we may be self-publishing we don't know any of that yet so you know but but stay tuned it's going to come out and it's going to be really good and with that we have a bunch of associated content as well which is videography or 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 pictures or stories or whatever that we have and we also have all the recordings you know, so having all the recordings as well that can be released as a, a, a further date, if we decide to do some with that, or if we decide to go, whatever. Like they, nice. we have a ton of we have a ton of material that can follow up the the book release, and and depending how obviously the book is received. But by the time that book goes out, I will not accept failure as an option, right? So it's going to be it's going to it will it will it will have been pre-vetted by some very trusted and key people that will let me know if I'm completely off course and I'm not opposed to rewriting for 6 months if I am. Hmm. I want to make sure that when it does hit it hits in the right spot and it benefits the collective in a way that's has never been seen before especially here in Canada yeah. as we have none of our of our people write anything. Yeah. It's all in the dark. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you having all that additional stuff is really awesome because for people like me, like you can tell me your process, but I want to listen and see and read the process for myself. And then I'm like, mm, that's that's I think that would be really cool having all that stuff as well. Um, hey, if you read something like this and you decide that that process just doesn't jive with your reality, well, you just eliminated a whole bunch of course of actions that now direct you to the right course of action for you based on your totality of circumstances, yeah. right? So it's not like reading something where you get information is actually not beneficial if you're not using the information. It could, be, it could have extreme benefits regardless of whether or not you do use the information because inherently you will use the information to make a for or against vote 
you yeah. know? So there's always a benefit in hearing something, even if you don't think there is. It had the benefit of eliminating all these courses of actions, and now you're, go you're looking the other way, right? Yeah. Or you look at it and you go, yeah, that works for me, actually. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. You get the information. Does it apply? Does it not apply? Uh, people are so black and white, though, with it, because you can listen to something or read something that's like, I don't agree with that, but I learned a new way of doing something or how to do something or how to say something. Right. To Eric Weinstein, for example, I learned a new way of conversating, even though that was not his intent at all. I'm just like listening to it and like, huh. Uh, even though he sounds like a nerdy guy who no one understands half the time. <laughs> but no, that's for sure. Like Anyways, because I got to get going. So yeah, thank you for this conversation, as always. And uh, just as a reminder, how can people find you on the Internet if they want to connect with you? Yeah, so I've pretty much redirected everything to my personal Instagram, which is mm -hmm. uh, S-L-A-V, as in Victor, C-C-M-D-R, so Slav Cobra Commander, so S-L-A-V-C-C-M-D-R, and I'm sure you'll put it in the description. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my that's my primary kind of account right now. I, I do have a Raven Strategic account, which has kind of been dormant for a while because I've been really, really focused on... The two are tied in anyways, but I've been really focused on the, you know, my personal, my personal account in terms of content, um, where that's going this year, we're going to, we're going to make a decision on that. But, mm. uh, but yeah, that's the best way. That's the best way to kind of reach me. Sounds good. Again, thanks for coming on and, and expanding on your life experience. <laughs> thanks for having me, bro. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Warriors Den podcast. If you like this podcast and our content, make sure you support us in the many various ways you can. The easy and free ways start with liking, subscribing, following, and leaving a positive review wherever you may be listening or watching. You're listening to the Warriors Den. Warriors Den. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga turning lambs into lions.